Then I light that candle. Ronan. It'll bring the ghost. Oh, Ronan. You're not Nana. Nana's dead. Hello and welcome to the Dura Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons. We are not ghosts. But we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And today we are talking about the spookiest episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Episode two, everyone. We are recording on a Sunday afternoon. We are trying to pump these episodes out as many as we can before Halloween. So. Yeah, pump them out. Whoa, whoa, pumpkins <laughs> rolling down the hill. Yeah. Oh, yeah, hey, all around you. <laughs> <laughs> it's freaking bats. Love Halloween. <laughs> candy corn falling from my mouth. <laughs> oh, one candy corn a year. That's about all I can tolerate. Yeah, I kind of max out at a handful. Mm-hmm. Here we are, Ashlyn. I am so excited to be here in the recording Zoom studio with you talking the next generation. Yeah, me too. This has been, I'm not going to say stressful, but this has been an action-packed Trek Halloween weekend. We mentioned in the last episode that we did the Twilight Zone Trek actors. Just another thank you for everyone who joined for that. Um, And then we are excited in a couple days. On Saturday, we will be doing a live pumpkin carving. So we hope everyone can join for that. That's going to be at 6.30 Eastern time. Yes, a fun little Q&A. On the 21st, I think. Do you know what day that is? Oh my god, it's the day Midnight's comes out. Oh, how are you going to... I might survive. Not be, uh, <laughs> oh wait, it? no, it's the it's the twenty second. Oh, okay, cool. So midnight's will already be out for a day. So she still won't be coherent. <laughs> I won't be coherent because I'll be listening to Taylor Swift nonstop. Um, I feel like John Green. He's always talking about Taylor Swift on the pod, but like I should talk about her more because she's amazing. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you're like I'm next instead time. Instead of like shying away from my John Green um attributes, I'm gonna lean deeply into yeah, them. <laughs> lean into them. Absolutely. Maybe I'll start talking about nihilism soon. So <laughs> can't wait. I mean, we've we've. Put a toe in the lake of existentialism here, so. Completely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So before we jump into these episodes and give you our watch list and everything, let's first talk about what our listeners and what our uh, wonderful followers on Instagram and Twitter have to say about Star Trek The Next Generation's scariest episodes. Wait, Rihanna, um, you don't want to talk about, like, like, horror for 30 minutes <laughs> this time. I'm good. Yeah, I think, think we're past on that. I think we did it. <laughs> it was really fun editing the episode. We really went in deep, and I think it set us up well for the start of the series. So if anyone's craving more discussion on horror, but they haven't seen the original series or skip that episode, just listen to the first 30 minutes of last uh, of last time's episode. <laughs> totally. You'll have a blast. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to talk about the watch list a little bit first. I'm not going to announce what we watched. I was doing a lot of research and polling and uh, trying to figure out what are the spookiest episodes of the next generation. And just off the top of my head, I could think of five or six. And this is a show where they really focus on scary episodes. And like I did with original series, I could have made a 30 episode list to start and then wean it down from there. I think I ended up having like 20 episodes and then I started cutting them down. 
Yeah. Especially after the original series episode was about a four hour recording. Rian and yeah. I, we were like, we have to cut down this watch list. <laughs> I cannot tell you how exhausted I was after that episode. Like I was like mentally great. I, I gave my all. <laughs> I know. Seriously. And that's only happened one other time. Like our villain mm-hmm. TNG episode DS9. or our, our villain DS9 episode, I think was like a three hour plus runtime. Yeah. That and I'm more bef- like a- as a raw file, so <laughs> totally <laughs> a Duras record um, that we just destroyed last week. So um, I came across this poll while I was doing research, and Star Trek.com everyone has their issues with it. My issue is that there's no date on this poll, <laughs> oh, um, but it did say in the caption. For our weekly poll, we asked, what is the scariest <laughs> TNG episode? More than 4,000 people voted. 10% said Q Who. 12% said Conspiracy. 14% said Genesis. 18% said Schisms. And also 18% again said Frame of Mind. The winner that had a 29% majority was Night Terrors. By a landslide. Frankly. So I thought it was interesting that there wasn't one that was like, the clear winner, I mean, a difference between 18 and 29%, like, yeah, that's like 11% difference. But but I feel like with TOS, when we were asking people, it was like cat's paws, the only answer and wolf in the pool. So I thought that was interesting. And Rihanna, do you want to share the, some of the answers that we got when we asked you all on Instagram and Twitter this week? Yes. So first I shall read from our lovely Twitter feed. We have some amazing followers on there and Ashlyn just post posed this question to everyone. What uh what is the best slash scariest TNG episode? So we had Midnight Cruiser who said that one right there, which is the picture Ashlyn posted of Riker <laughs> flying into the portal, which is of course schism, right? Yeah, that's schism. He's <laughs> yeah schizzing right on into that portal. <laughs> yep. And then Oliver Sum said Night Terrors was scary. Computer Service Larry said, yep, that one, Schism. Night Terrors and Genesis at times also. Disaster and Identity Crisis also have some elements of that, but more suspense maybe. But they are all great. Also, Paramount on Roku still hasn't fixed the description of Schisms. This pic was from today. And then Customer Service Larry (laughs) posted a picture (laughs) of the Schisms description, which says, a gifted young intern learns her true heritage and must face the question, to to cue or not to cue? Which is just not schisms. That's true Q, the episode following. Well, and what's amazing is the true Q description on Paramount is a different description of true Q. Like, it's not exactly the same. (laughs) Yeah, and so Ashlyn posted back, like, oh my gosh, I posted this yesterday. And then customer service Larry says, oh wow, I've been following this for a while off and on. I have pics as far back as January 1st showing showing this like this. Still, to quote Worf, as far as hailing someone to change it, no response. <laughs> uh, so we're going to start calling this Schism Gate because like, truly no one's changed it since January 1st at the earliest. <laughs> so this is day, let's see, um, how many days are we into the year? Into Schism Gate. Let's see. So this is day 289 of Schism still having the wrong description. Paramount, we are going to be on you about this from now on. Literally. We're taking this to corporate. Um, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Please fix the description for Schisms. Please do. Hi Mars Oween said the one with the bugs will always creep me out. I think they are referring to conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Spooky Captain Kiyoshi said that one 
is up there for sure, meaning schisms again. Donna Tara said, this one, schisms, was scary for me as a young teen. It was like the X-Files. Mm. Stuart McElwain goes on to say, the episodes that scared me are night terrors, identity crisis, schisms, frame of mind. And then, finally, we have Spooky Jonic, who said, or sorry, Spoopy Jonic ah. said, the one with the clicking aliens experimenting on the crew of TNG, Shudder. That's schisms. Is schisms. <laughs> yep. So schisms is a clear winner on Twitter. And now we're going to explore Instagram. And we also had some great responses here. Th that Shy Trekkie says Genesis. Why Mr. Spock says Night Terrors as well as Frame of Mind. Where's Bev says Spider Barkley. Period. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to say. That's, That's Genesis. Genesis. <laughs> Yep. The Cassie Mac says the one where Data experiments with dreaming and starts stabbing people in turbo lifts. That is Phantasms. Uh, Russ Pelliquin says the one where Beverly or the one where Barkley turns into a spider. And then we had Alyssa King who said Frame of Mind. So lots of similarities here. We're all kind of feeling the same type of spooky vibes. So, Rihanna, before I announce the watch list, I'm curious for you, what do you think the scariest episode of TNG is, and um, was there an episode that gave you nightmares as a kid, or one that really stuck with you? I think, too, I was pretty freaked out by Phantasms, um, because I never expected to see Data as homicidal, because he's my favorite character, and so to see him kind of unhinged. I think, as well, the other Dreaming sequence episode for Data... Um, I know it's not as scary, but the one where the raven's flying and he's, like, painting and all of that stuff is very um, disjointed and, like, kind of hard to parse together for me. And so I remember feeling just really unsettled by that episode. I don't recall its title, but it looks like Ashlyn's taking a look for us. Yeah, that one's just called Raven, so... Oh. way to do it. I actually got that one and uh, Phantasm's confused. I kind of thought mm -hmm. at the end of Phantasm's, uh, Dr. Soon was going to appear and say, congratulations, <laughs> Data, you are dreaming. You've unlocked you a new unlocked part of your dream. code. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, not this time. <laughs> yeah. Ashlyn, what about you? Was there one that stood out to you as very creepy as a kid? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think for both of us, like the image of Data stabbing Troy was really mm -hmm. impactful in the turbo lift. Because um, yeah. that... That one, I, 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 watching TNG, I was a little bit older and not scared as easily, but uh, I remember feeling actually like, oh, oh, oh Lord, <laughs> like what's going to yeah. happen? What's going on with Data? And then also the first time we see the Borg in True Q. Nope. Q who? In, oh God, all the Qs. Not, 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 not Schism Gate again. <laughs> the, the, the glue is Q. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Which one is it? Um, yeah, True, no. Um, <laughs> Q, Q who? There it is. Yeah, because uh, that's the first time we see the Borg, and Q himself is just so untrustworthy. So, yeah, I think those two, just that first Borg impression is pretty terrifying for me. Yeah, yeah. Every time I see the Borg after that, I'm pretty scared, too, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I'm going to read the watch list. So we are going to open it up with Phantoms. That's not an episode, but that's the section and guess what we're freaking talking about? We are going to start with Sub Rosa. <laughs> Starting off strong. I can't wait. And then we're going to go on to uh, predicaments that affect the whole crew, which is Q, Who, and Genesis. And then we're going on to Everyone's Having a Nightmare, which is Night Terrors, Phantasms, and Schism. 
And then we are going to end with conspiracy episodes, which of course has conspiracy and then frame of mind. So a little bit of a shorter watch list. I was really happy making this. And especially after watching all these episodes, I can say this is a tight list. Yeah, this Lit. is yeah. like S tier. This is really, really it's good. It's an amazing list. So I'm I'm taking a bow for myself. Um, Please do. I mean, we never take a bow for Rihanna. She makes all these amazing watch lists. So I'm taking Bro, a bow for her as well. But We all, um, we are in here in this together and you did amazing. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So to start us off, Rihanna, we have a very important task. And also I'm proud because all of our intro stuff only took 14 minutes. <laughs> Not after, 45. After editing, it's probably only like 11 or 12 or 10 minutes. <laughs> so very important though. We need someone to guide us through this episode. Rihanna, let's pick an action figure. Yes, I have a bag full of solely TNG action figures this week. <laughs> Rihanna upgraded. I still have my massive bag that has like Indiana Jones's dad in there. And <laughs> <laughs> Henry Jones? That's amazing. Heck yeah, Henry Jones is here. I, I mean, I don't think I'm going to choose him. I'm pretty sure he's at the dead bottom, but yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm just going to blindly reach. And I have a choice oh, no. if I've not looked at it. I, I chose Picard's wheelchair. I chose Professor X's wheelchair, so I'm going to put that one back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rihanna, who did you choose? I choose Dr. Beverly Crusher from the Holodeck series episode, or Holodeck episode. I unfortunately don't remember which one. It might be the big goodbye. It is uh, the big wearing, goodbye, Rihanna. Yay! Oh, she's wearing her gorgeous black beret and a beautiful dress. Oh my gosh. Well, it's a match made in heaven. I chose Picard. <laughs> oh, what outfit is he wearing? I'm honestly trying to figure out. I think it's his inner light outfit. Maybe. No, but yeah. he doesn't have a beard. No. Wait, who is this? Who are you, sir? <laughs> um, he looks like he's like undercover or something. Well, we will post a picture and ask for some help. Yeah, I th actually we will. Like, who is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which episode is this Picard from? And, uh, Crusher is now standing next to me in her high heels doing amazing. I'm so glad that I don't have to wear high heels, so more power to her. Um, well she's gonna help us right now because we are going to talk about Sub Rosa. It'll bring the ghost. It'll bring the ghost. <laughs> it has the ghost. It has, it has the ghost. The ghost. <laughs> One of the most okay. spookiest things. <laughs> so, Ashlyn. <laughs> Sorry, I have a lot of pages You're to fine. flip. Okay. You're good. Yes. Ashlyn, do you remember the first time we watched this episode? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Vividly. Vividly. Uh, same. Ashlyn, how did you feel watching this episode the first time? I did not like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I feel, and my opinion has changed, but at the time, I felt like a lot of season seven episodes were pretty weak, and mm. we're kind of suffering from, the show's about to end, like, let's just write something and, put, and then make it real quick. No one is going to have to think about this again, and I just thought... It was it was weird, and I, I didn't really understand what was happening. I actually thought it was one of the worst episodes of The Next Generation when I first saw it. Oh boy, have I have I changed my tune on that. But Rihanna, what about you? How did you feel about Sabrosa? Yeah, I remember having quite mixed feelings because I did like the Scotland Planet element. I really liked getting backstory on Crusher because we really have only heard about uh, Jack Crusher, not much about Beverly. We don't know much about her, like her family 
her maiden name is Howard. We didn't even find out until this episode. You know, like, there's there's so much to uncover about her character, which is why we talked about this episode in our family series. But I just remember not being able to take it seriously, you know? I was just cracking up. And I think I was also kind of learning what sex was at the time. And so I was, like, not really understanding, but, like, kind of getting, like, feelings of, like, I know she's doing something naughty, like, she shouldn't be doing. Um, (laughs) But, like, I remember those were only my really thoughts about Sabrosa being disappointed that like I couldn't take it seriously but also laughing my my head off about it you know yeah same I agree I don't think I had many thoughts about sex at this time (laughs) and her and Troy Crusher and Troy have these great lady conversations throughout the episode and I just don't think I understood what was happening also I didn't really like Troy so just a lot of negative factors coming at this episode for the first time totally so now let's talk about our most current watch of this, Ashlyn, let's start off with just like the setting of this because I really am growing to love this like Scottish planet, you know, like I think that it's such a cool idea. I think that so many colonists just do this where they go into a planet and then they make it like entirely their own culture. We've seen this in so many episodes like the gangster planet and you know, the Chicago planet, whatever. It, it's really funny to see that there's an entire planet who's like obsessed with Scotland and they all have like Scottish accents and they're all like really adhering to traditions, Scottish traditions and I think it's really cool that we get sort of a Bev Scottish background too. So I have some questions because the like minister, the like leader of this colony, he said he went to Scotland on earth and he fell in love with it and felt like he was home. And that's great. I'm happy for him that he felt that way. My question is, is this like serious cultural appropriation and is it appropriate to do? Like if this was like Hong Kong, would this be acceptable? Or It'd be way dicier. Y- yeah, I feel like because it's like white culture that they've taken and the the species seems to be white, I, I don't know. It's a completely different species. I just don't know how much this would look good if they were like trying to be Egyptians or Indians or yeah. some other culture. But also maybe the culture would have come from an Indian heritage or an Egyptian heritage and had moved out into space and maybe just that one guy who studied abroad <laughs> would have been the appropriator. You but know, is like, that what happened? Was was this as originally a Scottish colony? I don't think so. I don't think it was like mass migration from who Scotland. Were obsessed with Scotland. Yeah, it was people who were obsessed so. with Scotland. So that so I'm that's why I'm saying like I don't know. That's why it's a kind of a dicey yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I think it's just really different because exactly like you said, this is a, a white European culture and there's such a different like take on that. And yes, I do agree that this can be like a little bit questionable, but at the same time, it's almost like you can't be super racist to white people because they're the like, uh, they're the col- they're the colonizers, you know? Um, it kind of is sort of how I take it, which maybe isn't a great mindset to have for myself. I don't think of it as dicey as, say, like, some freaking Kukulkan vibes, you know, where you're like, oh, let's just rewrite Mayan and Aztec history and make it this alien and not actually appreciate the culture that it actually came from uh, in real life. But I totally get what you're saying, and I think it's definitely something to, to think about, for sure. I just feel like it's on the edge, and if another, like, alien culture visited this and said, oh, I'm gonna take from the Gorns, and I'm going to make this a Gorn planet just for fun, you know? Like, 
I mean, I'm <laughs> the just... gourd is a terrifying example, but yes. Yeah, right. well, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it just sets a weird precedent that you can go anywhere and take someone's culture and replicate it, like, replicate what they've made and worked hard for, like, regardless of... Yeah, I didn't realize that those people weren't Scottish. I thought most of them were besides the, um, like, minister alien guy. I, especially the Howards, you know, are all Scottish. Um, so I don't know if, I just felt like the others were, because they all at least had the accent, but maybe they just learned the accent from the planet. I don't know. Maybe they are. I just know that the main guy who's not human is totally well, just, yeah. like, in I mean, love with Scotland. So I don't yes. know. I, yeah. I, I could be, I could be wrong here. Um, no, no, I, I don't think you are. Uh, but I mean, I could be like factually incorrect um, <laughs> I see, about I see. how many people from Scotland. But yeah, if if you're like looking from a home away from home, not on Earth, like that's great. You know, you're like, yeah. it's like um, in Lower Decks. So you're just trying to find other people from Hawaii, other people oh, from God. the moon to hang <laughs> yeah, out with. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that up. Um, we also are learning in the beginning of this episode that the entire planet is built off of environmental control so it's all like automated all of the controls the weather and everything is automated by technology and so to, to replicate sort of the the scottish island <laughs> uh weather and all of that and we see that the environmental controls are already starting to go haywire right after the funeral essentially Yes. We learned that this is Ronan, and I don't know how it's Ronan. (laughs) (laughs) Ghost stuff, I guess. But, like, it doesn't matter because the atmosphere quite literally is very tense, and it creates a really good, um, like, spooky feeling, especially because opening with the funeral, you're thinking about death, you're thinking about, like, family members who've passed away, and I'm thinking about poor Bev, who, you know, hasn't been able to see her Nana as much as she wanted to because she's been in Starfleet and now she gets all of her possessions I don't know I I think it's a perfect way to start a Halloween episode is just in a cemetery and then once we see Crusher at her house at Nana's home she's like going through all the heirlooms talking about how this candle gave her so much comfort as a kid because it was always lit and it's a family heirloom Um, so I felt like it was a like very strong way to start out a kind of a spooky episode Totally, and I do love uh, Deanna Troy's dynamic in this with Crusher. I think it's really great that she has someone to, like, go to the house with her, but I thought it was hilarious. There's a little continuity error where Picard and the alien are chatting, and he's saying, oh, yeah, I went there when I was, like, four, and I love Scotland, like we were saying. Um, They're having a conversation. Troy had, or Deanna, sorry, Beverly had already asked Deanna if she could go back to the house with her, but I see Troy just hanging out in the background, like, talking to other patrons. I took some videos. I'm going to make a TikTok. I have never noticed this before, but I was like, there's Troy. And then the next scene, she appears with Beverly, like, across town in the house. (laughs) So they did not think about that timing-wise. I think she, like, said, Troy to Enterprise, like, quick, beat me to Bev's house. I forgot to go with her. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a terrible friend, and she's in mourning. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. We're introduced to the candle pretty much right away, which is going to be the uh, the pinnacle or like the the center of this story. Um, And we also learned that Nana told Beverly ghost stories with the candle lit beside her every night, you know, so that also adds to the the spooky ambiance. Her mother passed when she was young, and so Nana pretty much raised her. I just love that. You know, I love the image of Nana reading a little Bev ghost stories. It really makes me 
feel like feminine power, you know, um, mm-hmm. she's talking about how all the Howard women have had this candle passed down over and over and just like the strength of grandma of Nana raising Bev's like mm-hmm. nice to see and think about. And, you know, we know that Bev is such an awesome character. Um, yeah, and our grandma is named Beverly and she also like really helped raised us in a lot of ways. Like she was really doing a lot of the heavy lifting when our parents were, you know, single parents really trying to raise two kids and anyway shout out to the bevs and the nanas of the world heck yeah absolutely the shoe's gonna drop right now um yeah this is a sex candle <laughs> and <laughs> not this, any sex candle and this is a, a ghostly one. a sex ghost <laughs> yeah um so beverly's like reading nana's diary which also i don't know if like it, i mean it hasn't happened yet. We haven't really lost, uh, we've lost grandparents, but I, I haven't like gone through their journals. I don't feel like I have yeah. that. I'm not ready for that. But I just feel like right out of the gate, like a day after the funeral, I wouldn't be like open Nana's diary and being like, okay, what does she get up to? Because yeah. Nana has some seriously erotic chapters that she's written that went down between her and Ronan. And Beverly's yeah. up on the ship and she's like, oh Lord, like it's causing her to have like sexual dreams, which we know is Ronan and visiting her in her sleep but Mm -hmm. she has this great conversation with Troy and Troy's like you're glowing what is happening right now and I also I just am grossed out by the idea of reading like no offense to to my grandparents but I just don't want to be reading like their erotic lives that they've written down I just don't want any part of that at all and so maybe you know Star Trek is an evolved culture like very um very sex positive very sex positive but i i just like anyone in my family i don't want to know really what's no, going yeah, on i'm good yeah, I'm yeah. An erotic chapter in my grandmother's journal and it's not like <laughs> i feel like she stumbled upon it she's like oh interesting i would have just closed the book i maybe would have yeah. skimmed and been like oh my god these are all sexual erotic chapters um yeah. i'm gonna stop reading this but beverly just keeps reading and she mm-hmm. is like Maybe it's the the Ronin inside of her already like egging her on, but I think so. A little, I yeah. could not believe that she read all these chapters. Yeah, insane. And so we find out that it is not just the eroticism of the chapters that is turning her on. It's Ronin himself visiting her in the night. Very creepy. Not a lot of consent going on here, but she still enjoyed it, so that's good, I guess. But Beverly goes back to the house the next day. She's reading through her stuff. And we get some really cool, creepy shots here. I think that this is probably one of the creepier parts of the episode is when we're first discovering Ronan because she saw someone in the cemetery who was, like, very dashing and young, like, in his 30s, and he looked at me all, like, intensely or whatever is how she says it. (laughs) And then when she's back at the house, she hears, like, him whispering, like, Beverly. And she's looking for her. She's like, I know someone's in here. Like, who who are you? What are you doing in my house? Um, And then she looks in the mirror because the mirror starts, so the mirror starts, like, shaking, and so she grabs it, picks it up, look, turns around, like, what, why is this mirror trembling, <laughs> and then she hangs it back on the wall, and right behind her is the reflection of Ronan, and that is such a cool shot, like, I think it's a great little jump scare, she drops the mirror, it shatters, you know, and then she looks behind her, and no one's there, so perfect little ghost story, a great way to set up, okay, we're clearly dealing, dealing with a ghost here, or someone who's, who can turn invisible, just feel like this is not a good look for Ronan. Why are you starting off by scaring her? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, that is not set the mood, you know? <laughs> if I'm scared, I don't want to do it. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But um, there's something very alluring about Ronan, and as she starts to talk with him more, he's, like, 
making her feel great and touching her in all these places and everything. And then we have another visitor to the house and he is just this sweet little guy who used to tend to Nana's house. What's his name? I wish I remembered. Don't know. I just have him Poor as soft. Scottish guy. <laughs> Scottish guy who dies. Housekeeper. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is, he's, he, he comes in and he sees the candles lit and he's like, oh my god, it's starting again. No, you he's, know? no, he, he's like, do not light that candle. Oh yeah, right, right, <laughs> sorry, yes, he sees the candle there and he's like, he wants to grab it and like toss it into a sun or something probably, you know, just like get this cursed candle out of the house and he's really trying to warn her. He says it will bring you nothing but misery and bad luck and she is already, I think, a little bit like entranced by Ronan and interested and so she's really not listening to him at all and she like wrenches the candle away from him and like sends him off and is pretty like rude and abrupt you know I mean I get it you also just lost your grandmother like she's really trying to figure out the house and everything but um I think if she'd just taken a moment to like rationally listen to him you know it could have been a little bit that the mystery would have been solved a little sooner yeah it kind of reminded me of like when a family member passes people who haven't been around or like pass around all the items and take what they can and mm -hmm. they have not been aware of the situation that they're the person has been going through and like this housekeeper totally. has like eyes on the ground with yeah. the whole Ronan situation <laughs> he knows like this is a really bad thing that's happening and it's like eyes oh, on the ground is the same, <laughs> but I love eyes on the ground. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. Please oh my continue. gosh, thank you. <laughs> He's like uh, on his front, looking under the door <laughs> at Ronan. Um, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I couldn't help but think of Bev in this moment. She's kind of like, I mean, she's not an entitled person at all, but just in mm -hmm. this moment, she's like hopped up on candle juice and. She's like, get out of my house. You know, she's very, like, emphasizing, like, this is all my stuff now. You have to get away. Even though it's probably, it feels like home to this caretaker, even though it's a haunted home. A haunted home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you said about, like, hopped up on candle juice is kind of real. Like, I think I'm sort of perceiving, as this goes on, as... Beverly falling into an addiction. This is how it looks. Especially the scene that was most telling for me is when she goes back up to the Enterprise because Ronan is saying, I can't maintain this form for long. You have to go grab the candle and keep it lit. Like that's why all the Howard women kept it lit because that's what kept me in corporeal form, you know? So he is manipulating her in this way of saying, go get the candle, go like feed into this addiction essentially. And so she turns, she goes and lights the candle in her quarters up on Enterprise. And she's like rocking back and forth, like sort of like she's strung out. Please, where are you? Where, when are you coming? You know, and then of course he co he's there and then they're coming. So, you know, then they have their little merging. So I, I, I think that, that was a little concerning to me just to see that this she was having some like really addictive uh, tendencies and behaviors here. Oh, yeah. She's full on shaking and... I love Gates McFadden. She's doing such a good job in this one. And I With feel such like a ridiculous script. Like, it's so really ridiculous. Yeah. And that's what I love about all these actors in Next Generation is they're given the most ridiculous, like on paper, like stupid things to do for, mm -hmm. for the show. And yet she commits 100%. And I, I don't even question her descent into candle horny madness, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out she's so addicted to Ronan. Because he tells the whole story, how he's been with the family since the 1600s, right? Okay, okay. He was yeah, born in 1647. So, 
This is like Baroque music fan music. <laughs> Dave, that's insane. And so he fell in love with a Howard woman and they had like a, a great a great love affair. And then when he died, I guess he turned into a ghost. Is that when he became ghostly or has he always been a ghost? <laughs> I think that was when he was born. And then he, this is his first foray into ghostliness. So, I, I mean, clearly he's not a human. I think that's his cover is that he was born in mm-hmm. um, 1647. I have no idea how he became a ghost. I think he's just been, he like found these ladies in Scotland and was like, this is it. I'm stuck on you, babe. And he's an 800-year-old ghost, so getting on to a 1,000-year-old ghost. Here's my question. How does this Ronan custody battle go if there's multiple daughters? Okay, I'm wondering this too, and also thinking the other way. Beverly only has a son, and so if she hadn't <gasps> broken this curse, would the ghost try to have gone for Wesley Crusher <laughs> after Bev's death, or would it just have like broken the cycle and died? Like, she what doesn't, if they just didn't have a son? She doesn't have any have daughters. She doesn't have any sisters. No. Yeah, see, this is what I'm wondering, <laughs> too, is, like, what if there's no daughters and only sons? It seems like Bev is the first Howard woman <laughs> to have a son, or to at least have only one son and no other females in her family line. I mean, also, there's some weird genetics going on that um, all of the Howard women have had green eyes. Except her and her mother. Yeah. And I don't like genetics. I'm, I'm surprised because green eyes is kind of rare. Um, Maybe it was Ronan. The, oh, it was because he gave the, she, turned her eyes turned green when she started merging with him. Oh my gosh. I don't think it's genetic thing. I think it's a Ronan thing. Okay, wow. That's just not good. <laughs> Which means because her mother died and her mother had blue eyes. So her mother never experienced Ronan because... Because grandma had, yeah, grandma <laughs> had Ronan. Too busy with Ronan, or actually, apparently, it passed on to Nana when her great when Bev's great grandmother died. So yeah, okay. So yeah. I'm wondering too because the the housekeeper guy, he's trying to tell Bev the stakes, like, and if you don't, I'm gonna have to like go to another funeral of a Howard woman, and yeah. so he's implying that Ronan's gonna kill her, and that yeah. is just not not the facts because I was thinking for a second wait is that how her her mom died like Mm -hmm. did Ronan kill her like Mm -hmm. suck the like horny juice out of her like what's going on (laughs) I'm sorry I said horny juice I shouldn't have said that um (laughs) it's really funny actually but but no like I think he's just like hyperbole because he's really emphatically trying to tell her like this is a bad idea don't do it but I yeah so there are a lot of questions there are no answers about this Howard line but I want I'm to still know. cracking up thinking about Rhoda visiting Wesley Crusher <laughs> being like ah damn <laughs> I mean Wesley would not be into it because he's the traveler and he would be. yeah and I, I figure he's pretty straight but I don't I don't think he's gay well yeah is Ronan by like pan maybe he can just go back maybe. and forth between whoever the the person is, but they they say Howard yeah. women like a million times, so I I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this all comes to a head. Beverly resigns from Starfleet. Picard walks in on her having sex with Ronan. It's really awkward. It's and so awkward. Him. Yeah, I just like, ooh. I remember that was the part where I felt weirdest as a kid. I was like, I feel really uncomfy and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, this is season seven. I feel like their relationship, Picard and Beverly's, has gotten really close and they are inches away from becoming a couple. And so 
when Beverly resigns and she just like is on the transporter, she barely talks to Picard and she's like, I'm leaving. Bye. Like it's, just, it's yeah. so abrupt and Picard feels really concerned and hurt. I'm sure. So I'm glad like it, the only thing that snapped her out of it is Picard <laughs> coming in on uh, like in, right in the middle of it. And then Ronan zaps him and he almost dies in yeah. her home and that is the final straw she's like oh my god like this is my love john luke is he okay yes. and she's doing everything she can to save him and then bless his heart i just love picard so much because he like he wakes up a little and he's like go get him go get ronan yes. <laughs> you know go stop him yes yeah. Because, yeah, he's making the environmental controls crazy. The funniest part, and also, you know, just adding to the spooky Halloweenness of this episode, is that there is a fog that just sort of, quote, oh. or that quote, just sort of rolled in just on the bridge. Just rolled in. I love it. <laughs> and the environmental controls are going crazy on the ship. They can't break through. Uh, they can't stop the beam that they're trying to send to the weather system. Um, so Ronan is really causing a lot of havoc here. And I love that, yeah, I love that Picard is able to sort of break Beverly from this spell from the spell of Ronan and he and then Beverly goes to the graveyard Ronan possesses Nana which he was so against exhuming the body and like using her body but of course he will if it's for his own deeds you know and then she's like up and sitting up and <laughs> she shocks Jordy and Data like they almost die like it's insane and then Bev is like get away from them and she yeah. destroys the candle which is the key to it all yeah that's just amazing, like, to, to break a cycle of, like, addiction and, like, Ronan, you know, to break that Ronan sex cycle it must have been really, really difficult and way to go for her. We're all out here just trying to break the toxicity of our family gen passed down from generation to generation, so good on you, Bev. You broke this 800-year-old curse on the Howard yes. women and maybe Howard men as well. Uh, <laughs> <question> unclear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow, yeah, it's just, it's, what an episode. I know it's heavily made fun of, but as far as spooky vibes go, it really just, like, hits the nail on the head. So I have to say, like, I went from thinking this was the one of the worst episodes, which I will say one of, because later we're talking about the one I thought was the worst. Yeah. Yeah, Rhiannon and I, she gave me this look Agreed. of agreement yeah. just now. <laughs> I've just, like I said, I've changed my tune. I can appreciate it for the silliness that it is, and... I love the, we didn't talk about it too much here, but the girl, like the, the girl talks that Troy and Crusher have throughout this episode are so awesome. And you get to see Troy's concern really develop mm -hmm. between about Crusher and like what's going on with her. And I just, I think it's a great episode that you can just kind of forget about life and just laugh at, yep. laugh at horny Bev for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And also shout out to Where's Bev, who covered this episode for Halloween, and you should go listen to that as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking when we had Where's Bev on, uh, we talked about this episode briefly as well. It's yeah. just like the fan favorite. I always think about Adrian and Sophia, so God bless them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, so this is going to be a uh, maybe a strange transition, but now it's, <laughs> it's Borg time. <laughs> Another type of uh, possession, I guess. <laughs> yes. So this is, uh, we're moving on to incidents that affect the entire crew. Spooky incidents, I should say. So I had a tough choice when making the watch list because there are so many Borg episodes. And Best of Both Worlds arguably might be a little bit scarier than this one because of everything that happens with Picard. But 
we have talked so much about that episode on the podcast. Everyone has seen that one. We've talked a lot about Q Who as well, but I just think it's worth mentioning as one of the scarier ones because this is the introduction of, I'm going to say it, the best Star Trek villain of all time. The Borg is so awesome. And of course, the they've developed so much over all of these years since this uh, season two episode. Can you believe we've had the Borg since season two of Next Generation? Insane. Just insane. Um, so... I also just have to shout out our mom, Michelle, because when she watched all of Star Trek, Next Generation was actually the last show that she saw. Um, maybe Lower Decks after that, but of the like big, mighty Trek shows, TNG was yeah. the last one. And so she had already known about the Borg from literally everything else, New Space Nine everything and else. Voyager, especially Voyager. And uh, still, she said when she saw this episode, Q Who, for the first time, she is terrified and she actually kind of has the perspective of Guinan in this yeah. episode where Very you where she knows and of course we know Rihanna everyone who is crazy like us knows don't don't approach the Borg with your shields down don't even yeah. approach don't the Borg especially yeah. if you're only season two Enterprise D like are you kidding <laughs> like this ridiculous like why are you going on their ship why is any of this happening so yeah. I was thinking about her watching this episode and how fun it would have been. And and also just that you can still feel the fear that the Borg creates. So I just have to shout out Sonia Gomez because this is the, the famous hot chocolate spilling scene. And it has yes. like nothing to do with the rest of the episode. But I just, I love her so much and so happy we got to see her again in Lower Decks. <laughs> Phenomenal glow up for her. <laughs> I've done way more embarrassing stuff to way more intimidating cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's a glorious angel. I love her. Um, but I, I have to shout out, um, Rihanna, I noticed we do a lot of shout outs. I hope people don't get sick of us like using the shout out rhetoric, but mm. like I'm shouting Whatever. out John Delancey yeah. right now. I yes. am delighted to see him on screen at all times, but especially when Picard walks in to what he thinks is the hallway. He gets off the turbo lift. He walks Walks into a shuttle that Q is stolen from the Enterprise, covered in hot chocolate. Picard is not Q, and then Q's like, "Oh, aren't you just clumsy?" <laughs> Free dry cleaning service. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he cleans his uniform. Well, first, even before dry cleaning service, he just like turns around and looks at Picard, and his face is like the happiest. Like you're, you just got home, and your dog is so happy to see you. Like that's what Q looks like. He's totally. he's the Q equivalent of like jumping up and down like oh my god you're home I can't I'm so happy to see you um Q is like I'm here to cause some trouble so <laughs> yes also like every scene between Q and Picard has a lot of like homoerotic undertones but I think particularly this one where um Picard is sitting down in the shuttle and Q comes up behind him and whispers in his ear like he is like literally like like they're they're like faces are touching and he's whispering like it's just so clear how much Q loves Picard even in season two. <laughs> what sets up the spooky tone in this episode is Guinan I think because whenever she has a bad feeling you all gotta listen and gotta pay attention because Jordy and Sonia Gomez go and have a chat in 10 forward he's like you just need to calm down like cool things will come to you just like let it happen. He's giving her the Taylor Swift talk you need to calm yeah. down. You're being too loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, so they're chatting and then Guinan 
starts like looking out the window and it's clear she's getting like a tingle on the back of her neck kind of or like prickle up her spine kind of feeling you know that feeling where either you're being watched or like you know something is wrong and you have like, this fundamental sense of wrongness and the way that Whoopi Goldberg plays this is so good because her subtleties are amazing but you know something's scary and something's about to happen and that is of course when Q appears and they have their little talk uh Q's all awful to guide in and she's doing her amazing pose her like finger like claw pose <laughs> i don't know how to describe it you <laughs> but, all know um, you all know yeah yeah you know pose yeah so that is a really great setup and then also q's setup too is really ominous because he's talking about how oh you you puny humans aren't ready for what's out there like the the amazing awe-inspiring things out there and also quote the terrors to freeze your soul you know Ooh. which is the borg like they are the terrors and I think that that is a really good description because they have no clue what they're getting into. He's exactly right. And he's absolutely correct that they are not prepared for what the Borg have to offer them. But instead of, you know, warning them about the Borg like a re reasonable person, he says, I'm going to make them encounter the Borg and make Picard beg on bended knee for me to get them out of it. Okay, so, so just clarifying a couple things. I get some of the Q episodes mixed up. This is not where he's been thrown out of the continuum and made yeah. a human, but yeah. he has been thrown out of the continuum and he's yeah. bored. So I just want to yes. clarify. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> he's, kind of, he's kind of like um, dug in up where he's like, I was hiding under your porch because I love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, he's like, I have nowhere else to go. I'm bored. I got kicked out. I'm here at your doorstep. <laughs> I think he's kind of like me when I want to call Rihanna, but I don't have a reason to. And so I'm yeah. like, okay, what's a good reason? You never oh, need a reason to call me. <laughs> I know, but I always want to like start with something and then we yeah, can go yeah. from there, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> and so Q's thinking, okay, I gotta, I gotta hook Picard in with something. What should yeah. I do? Oh, I'll take him to the to see the Borg. He'll love that. <laughs> it's also a perfect way to stroke his massive ego, you know, because he wants to see Picard beg and he wants to see how Picard will handle the situation. He just he made that so little... sexual. I'm sorry, oh! you said massive ego. You want to see him beg? I just, I can't. Um, get some I images mean, out of my mind. Oh, am I Lord. wrong? Oh, Lord. <laughs> am I wrong? It's so homoerotic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Q, the way he, he describes how they're not ready and everything, and Picard is a little egotistical here. I will agree with Q by saying, like, yes, we are, like, we, we're spacefarers, we're, like, out here exploring, um, and he says, what then we will meet, what we must, you know, essentially like, oh, whatever you're implying, like, we'll handle it when it comes to us, you know, and, and Q is like, okay, sure, let's do it, you know, and then he, that's when he jets them off to, uh, to the Borg's sector, essentially. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that Guinan is one of the things that makes this episode so spooky. I thought it was great that no one else has noticed that Picard has been taken from the Enterprise, but she's in 10 forward and she's staring out the window and like you're saying she's having the hairs on the back of her neck and she calls mm -hmm. up to the bridge and she's like what's going on and Riker's really surprised because it's mm -hmm. very rare to have Guinan call up to the bridge she's not officially a part of Starfleet she hasn't been to the academy but she's just like honorary senior officer um, totally. because of Picard's massive respect for her the whole bridge crew respects her because, because of, of that her experience too yeah. you know like it's, yeah. it's both Picard's respect and just like she just like oozes confidence because she she 
it's warranted. She's been through so much. Well, she's really smart. Life. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's been through a lot. Very old. Like she's seen a yes. lot of seen a lot of stuff go down. And she's the one who's like, where's Picard? Riker's like, oh, oh my God. And uh, he's not on the ship. Yeah. yeah. So finally, then Q brings him back. And I agree with you that I, I have to laugh, like thinking Picard says so confidently that he's ready for anything. And I'm like, you think you can handle species 8472? Literally. Is that the right numbers? I never remember. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. You're um, not Janeway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like you're not. No offense, Picard, but you're not Janeway. I just had to cover my Picard action figure's ears while I said that because I don't want to hurt his feelings. <laughs> oh, Sorry, fair enough. Okay, give him a little kiss so he feels better. <laughs> yes. Okay. I love also the scene in Ten Forward uh, when finally, like you said, Q and Guinan are face to face, and then Q and Picard get into this back and forth. And I love watching Guinan's face in this scene because. It's like a tennis match. She's just watching it go back and forth, back and forth, seeing where this conversation's going to land. And finally, once Q takes them to the Borg sector, here we go. And I think also what's so uneasy, what, what like builds the uncertainty in this episode is that Q is so frustrating and you can't trust him. Even yeah. if he's just having fun, he's like we've seen him kill people or allowed people to be killed in front of him in previous episodes with little Mm -hmm. to no remorse. And so you know that anything really could happen and he's probably going to save them at the last minute, but you don't know for sure, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so this is yet another humanity test, you know, all, all of Q does it's to test and it's to needle Picard and it's to get in his space and it's to, assess the capability of Picard and by extension of humanity. (laughs) Yeah, and he doesn't need to do this, but he's just Q. He's just kind of a little shit. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry for my curse, but it's true. Um, so, like, the Borg up here, there is a cube ship that we see. This is a good old-fashioned cube. There's no sphere yet. And, (laughs) um, again, just laughing at Riker, saying, shields down, (laughs) we don't want to be provocative. (laughs) (laughs) To the Borg. I'm, like, screaming, like, oh, my God, shields up, bro. You're all going to get assimilated. Well, and I wonder, so we know that Guinan, from our our deep history now that we have of Guinan, thank the Lord, we have more, we know that Guinan has faced off the Borg, but not as directly as some other Alorians have. And so we're aware that she has lost a lot of family and a lot of people to the Borg, but she's not been confronted by a cube before. And I think I always just assume she had, you know, until we learn more of this history that, oh, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. Like she only has these vague senses, but that almost makes it spookier because even Guinan doesn't know everything about the Borg. And it feels like Guinan knows everything always, you know? And so when she's even unsure, she's like, here's the little things I know. I mean, she has some really great quotes about the Borg, but essentially she knows like three facts about like how horrible they are, but not the like insiders, you know, someone who's actually faced off the Borg because everyone who did of her species weren't able to live to tell the tale or or got assimilated essentially exactly she it's, it's not like she's ever been in a starship fighting the borg before so she yeah. doesn't have like this tactical advice mm-hmm. one part of the scene that i thought um 
made it really ominous too is um, everybody's on the bridge looking at the cube. Guinan's got her view screen activated. <laughs> it's so yeah. cute. She's got her own little screen back there I in 10 that. forward. Yeah. Um, and then Data is reading off the description of the Borg cube. It's creepy because Picard's asking all these questions like, where's the bridge? And Data's like, uh, I don't think there is a bridge. Yeah, um, no engineering. Yeah, and he's at, like, Picard's asking all of these expectations like, what are the weak, po- weak points? Where can we hit them? And Data's like, um, there's, no main, there's no main engineering. There's no obvious points to hit them at. Um, and like just the fact that they are so different, like in every way from a Federation ship and from humanity as a whole, um, or just like the beings that they've encountered in the Alpha Quadrant, it makes it really tense because you're like, I, uh, everyone's thinking, I don't know even where to start in trying to analyze this cube. Yes, especially because then we have Q continue to keep appearing and just being like, wow, Jean-Luc, what are you going to do next? You know, and, and so kind annoying. Of making it, yeah, like making it harder for them to focus and it's distracting them. And he's trying to throw them off, I think, obviously, by throwing them into the Borg's path, but also just like, oh, no, like, here's all this stacked against you, you know, and... I think, too, my favorite part, though, is when Guinan is now in the conference room because they're like, we need some Guinan knowledge, you know, and she gives what she can um, and saying, like, you don't negotiate with the Borg. Like, you have to get out of here. Like, I would suggest heading back right now. It's going to take them two years to get back, even at, like, a warp 10 Yeah, so they're not, like, in the Delta Quadrant, but they are really no. far away from where they previously were. Which is, you know, scary that the Borg are that close, you know, and this is, of course, what sets off the chain of events that will lead to Wolf 359 and, and everything else that comes after with with the Borg, but... Um, that was um, an inside job, Rihanna. Wolf 359 was an inside <laughs> okay, job, so okay. it wasn't wasn't a um, chain of events. Starfleet already planned it all, and... You're right. Um, oh, Ashlyn, do you have a little bug in you? I it was to totally your, your rigged. <laughs> <laughs> Actually... <laughs> check your neck right now but yeah so also I think probably to me the scariest moment of this episode is when we first hear the collective announce themselves you know we are Borg and do their whole thing I was like is that Picard Rihanna yeah how dare sorry to trigger him I'm covering his ears again this is a terrible episode for my dear action figure Picard yeah. <laughs> that that beginning introduction of the Borg, I remember being like a, a cute little middle schooler, definitely getting chills from this scene yeah. and feeling like this is something we have never seen before. We see that then a Borg beams aboard their ship that he's just sort of checking out stuff. He's looking at the warp core <laughs> and then he starts meddling with things. And the thing is, is like, I think it's definitely scary the first time you're watching it, but it's far scarier watching it again because of how cavalier everyone is in the beginning and how casual. Like, Jordy takes his time to say that there's an intruder alert. Like, he's looking at the board. He's like, hmm, that's weird. That's, like, a total different being. What is that? And he's like, hey, uh, security, there's an <laughs> intruder down here. And I'm like, no, no, you should be, like, red alert, intruder, board on ship. Like, let's go. You know, like, I want them to be more scared than they are, and that's exactly what Guinan and Q are trying to say. Like, you are all too cavalier about this. Uh, you think that you can negotiate with every species you meet and find a peaceful solution, where the Borg are, like, the opposite of peaceful solutions. Yes, and I think, it, like, some of the magic of this episode is that it's – it's not like the Enterprise is completely overwhelmed and destroyed by the Borg right away. Oh. Obviously for plot, so they can gather information. 
but it's the exponential increase that the Borg begin to attack them because, like, yeah, first they, uh, just the cube, and then the Borg start beaming aboard. For me, the moment that I knew this is really serious is someone stuns or kills the first Borg who appears with the phaser, mm -hmm. and then the second one appears, and Worf does the same thing, but mm -hmm. that shield has popped yes. up, and so you can tell that they adapt, like, that like instantly literally adapt right away and for me that's one of the scariest parts of the borg is how advanced their like defense technology is um yeah. and how creative you have to be and it's it, it, to think how could we possibly fight a thousand of them is it's it's too overwhelming to think about and so that's where my brain was going to when i first saw this episode is like oh my god like that's just a one-on-one -on -one fight it's like 1v10 right now and that Borg would win and overpower them but totally. thank god the Borg decided to leave and then things just escalate even more when they go on like the, the ship and on the Borg yes. cube and Guinan's like you are out of your effing minds like I disown all of you you're, yeah. you're crazy I'm not going on that cube to me it's the fact like that when the Borg walk by them you know and, and Worf raises his phaser they're in they're in the cube uh he raises his phaser and Riker's like no hang on because it just walks right by, and he's like, either they don't see us or they don't perceive us as a threat. And yeah. that is always the scariest part about the Borg to me, is that they are so confident about their assimilation abilities, which, for good reason, yeah. um, that they literally do not care that these three of the most powerful Starfleet officers we have right now, Worf, Data, and Riker, <laughs> and they're not scared of them at all. They don't even recognize them. It's the same thing we were talking about with the Archons and the slow walk, you know, yes. like also is the Borg are not going to run at you and like be all spitting and hissing and all of that stuff. They are going to just slowly walk at you and then inject you with some nanoprobes and then you're done, you know? Yeah, because all it takes is one and you're probably assimilated. Unless you have yep. plot armor, then then you're not sure. quite assimilated yet. Um, yeah. Yes. Also, the Borg babies was pretty freaky to see yeah. because, you know, it just tells you, like, they don't have any mercy towards young ones and they, they're they raising them into the Borg collective. And it's it's also, like, disturbing because it's not, like, a natural species because there's so yes. much technology on them. Um, if it was, like, I don't know, like a baby... Jem'Hadar you're like oh mm -hmm. that's a like an alien you know yeah. but this is a baby that's been like had their whole body hijacked and covered stole this bait like, with Borg technology this yeah, yeah exactly. it's not like they like birthed the baby it was a Borg no they like they like assimilated a baby like that's like horrific yeah, yeah exactly so it's it's so scary and thanks to Q they were able to get out um I used to Picard kind of too for being humble enough to realize I need to beg on bended knee I need to say Q, please help us out of this situation. We are not ready for the Borg. Yep. 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 And yep. But, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that's the Borg. Terrifying. Terrifying indeed. So Ashlyn, uh, one more thing I want to say about Q who is that they also lost uh, like 17 crew members. 18. 18 crew members in this mission. Um, and Q again has no remorse. And so once again, they weren't assimilated, thank the Lord, but they were killed and that's really awful. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Picard is saying like, what, like, is this an illusion? Like, why did you do this? Like, was it really mm -hmm. worth the death are dead. Yeah. of my crew? And, and Q says, if you can't deal with getting a little bloody nose, then you're not, then you shouldn't be in space at all, essentially. Oof. Harsh. 
rude. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, Q, do you want to write the letters of condolences to their families? Because that's what I have to go to my ready room and do right now. He'd probably be like, lol, sorry. <laughs> condolence letter. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Literally. Okay, so we are probably doing the weirdest job ever. <laughs> Even though it's in the same category of affecting the whole crew. We are now talking about a seven, a season seven episode called Genesis. Yes, this is the one with the quote about Picard wondering if he's going to start swinging around the ship like a monkey. <laughs> and I hope that's specific enough for you. <laughs> I hope you remember it now because I certainly do. This yeah. is actually my second time ever seeing this episode because uh, I this is probably the one you're referring to, Ashlyn. Yes. I think this might be the worst episode of TNG. Which is amazing to hear you say that. I I thought, like, when I first saw this one, it was up there as maybe the worst episode or one of the worst ones. For you, I thought the child. I thought you hated the child worse oh, than this one. <laughs> okay, I do hate the child. But I also hate Troy less now, and I love her, actually, as a character. So I haven't seen it since mm. I hated Troy. Mm. <laughs> so I can't properly say I also do hate the one where Barkley makes the holodeck, you know, the, the horrible, not HR compliant uh, holodeck, but that's just because of sexism. I just hate that, you know, for other reasons. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, but this episode features Barkley as well. <laughs> so are you seeing a theme here? I have man, my character who I don't love. <laughs> I really had a, I have a strange relationship with Barkley because I went from pure hatred and now I'm kind of like... I sometimes identify with him. Mm -hmm. I think he's supposed to identify with the he's like to be kind anxiety of in all of us. Yeah, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yeah. Poor man's Tilly, though. <laughs> Sorry to say. Um. Yes. Poor man's Tilly. Absolutely. So I similar with Sabrosa. Now, this episode is not as bad as I first thought it was. Rihanna has really? a very disbelieving face. <laughs> really? Tell me more. Okay. Um. I am able to view it not as like high <laughs> quality or mm -hmm. um it's an episode that you don't take seriously you know yeah. and I'm fine now viewing it for what it is because there are so many amazing next generation episodes and every once in a while in order to be Star Trek you have to have a really crazy episode that <laughs> like makes no sense and it's just fun, you know? It's like Sabrosa yeah. where you're just like, wow, I'm embracing the confusion going on right now. So, I'm sorry, I'm going to question your verbiage of fun. Did you have fun watching this? <laughs> okay, yes, I did. I had, I'm so glad. I, Spot is a lizard, that's all I'm saying. Like, that's an <laughs> okay, amazing enough. part of the episode. Um, okay, I let's let's open this can of worms up right now, Rihanna, before I eat them, because yeah. I'm, I'm an alien. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Spot. So Spot has been a male <laughs> this entire franchise. And now in Genesis, Spot is having kittens. Okay, so <laughs> I have been texting Ashlyn about this because I, this makes me like an insane amount of angry. Like Rihanna, I should not be this angry. I have this. to say she looks pissed. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't see this side of Rihanna that often. And like, she's actually angry right now. <laughs> I'm like actually spitting mad because like this is not just a continuity error. This is something they decided to do in order to further the plot. So instead of getting another female cat aboard, they needed to use the beloved spot and turn spot into a female so that she can have kittens so that then they can help solve the problem of this episode. 
I think that is completely lazy writing. I think that anything that goes back on what you wrote previously, like this is like a, this is like a hallmark of writing. Like, so I'm, I'm interning at a publishing house. I interned at City Lights Publishing for three years in college. And the biggest hallmark of publishing is that if you're going to utilize a certain type of writing, you have to be consistent of it throughout the entirety of your novel or entirety of your work. So if people are going to use a um, Oxford comma, you can't just randomly not use it, you know, it, it, or if you're going to not use it, then don't use it at all. So there has to be a consistency, even if it's wrong, like even if it's grammatically incorrect, if you're using it for your book for a reason, then that's fine. If it's grammatically incorrect, but it's consistently grammatically incorrect, then it's correct for the sphere of the piece of art. This is not grammatically correct as an art form. <laughs> like to change the gender of a cat? Sure, if it's like someone transitioning, you know, great. I'm, I'm so here for that. I'm not sure that cats can be transgender. If they are, <laughs> amazing. Love this wokeness, I guess. <laughs> um, the woke agenda has gone too far. Too far. <laughs> This is the I... world that liberals want, Rihanna. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I've always joked, like, privately to myself and to Ashlyn, like, how funny it is that Spot also changes uh, style. You know, like, in uh, the first couple seasons, Spot is a long-haired Somali cat, and then later on, Spot's a, Spot is a short-haired Sorry, uh, American you, short-haired. You just use style as in, like like type of cat like you used it synonymously and I'm just thinking like in the first season Spot had like a hat on in the second <laughs> season Spot like wore a bandana <laughs> I mean it's basically what I'm saying it's like it's like if Data's pips kept changing in the seasons yeah. but without them it's saying that he changed command or changed uh, rank I mean so I went to X Astra Scientia because this is a great Star Trek website we love um, them we've used them so much yeah, they're amazing. Um, I will post this on our Patreon, this lovely article called Spot the Difference. <laughs> it's really good. They actually go through all the different animals in Star Trek and say, like, look how many different animals they had. So the thing is, is that, like, there are a lot of ginger cats in the world, and they all look very different, and that is that is true. But as I... So I'm looking at Data's Day. This is the fourth season um, that we see that Spot is a long-haired Somali cat. And then in Fistful of Datas in the sixth season, he is now an American shorthair. And the only other time that Spot was referred to as a female was in Force of Nature and then Genesis as well. So I just am so flabbergasted that writers from the next generation who were so airtight on so many things would use this just for a plot point. Like it just feels like unfair to the continuity of the show. And that's I think why I'm so mad is because like as a writer, it's like you're breaking the cardinal rule of your like media design. Well, is, um, <laughs> what did you say the other one was where Spot was a female? Uh, Force of Nature. Is that after Genesis? So it's, Which... it's before, cause Genesis is 19, 719. Yeah, so as we scroll down this uh, ex actress Scientia website, I there's this very great comment at the end of the spot section that says, so what happens to the first spot? Rather than making up weird theories, we should simply assume that at some point during TNG, the male spot number one was killed in an accident and Data replaced him with the female spot number two. That's also a horrible theory because I don't want to think of male spot dying, but like, I guess, you know, if, if that's the best way we can like continuity like make it happen then that makes me feel a little better um but anyway I just like 
don't forsake the entirety of like something that you've built for seven seasons for one episode plot point. Like they could have used um, the nurse's embryo and it could have been the same exact plot. You well, know, that had to be that. the nail in the coffin of, of the scientific like explorations. Like, oh, it's not yeah. only happening in one instance, it's happening in two. Two, um, yeah, but it's not just coincidence. I mean, my, my answer to this is... At, at some point um, in the first couple minutes of the episode, Data is at a pregnancy appointment for Spot, mm-hmm. figuring, like, trying to see, oh, how is her birth coming along in sickbay? And someone's asking how, like, who's the father of, of Spot's kittens? Yeah. And he says there's 12 cats on board, so it yeah. could be any of them, and I'm definitely doing a DNA test, which is a funny throwaway line. I love that, yeah. But my, my thing is just have one of those cats um yes. get pregnant and not spot just keep spot a male like what about thank you lord i almost said naomi wildman what about <laughs> um like just have a kid have their pregnant animal in mm-hmm. the sick bay in the first five minutes rather than brent spiner and or yeah, just, rather than breaking continuity yeah yeah agreed this is exactly it and that's why i'm so mad so i'll get off my pedestal now um but yeah, so we will be referring to Spot as a she in this episode and later as a he and others. So thank you for going along with this craziness. Thanks for your TED Talk, and I appreciate it. Yeah, so I was just going to dive in briefly to the plot of this episode. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly so, yeah, <laughs> actually. So basically... Um, we have a lot of people in sick bay when this episode yeah. starts. I'm dying, absolutely dying, because Riker got, he, like, was trying to, he was, like, making out with this lady in the Arboretum, and he rolled into a spike plant, and yeah. he, it's like a dog that got hit with a porcupine, you know, yeah. so he has to have, like, spikes get picked out of his back. And in the, in the background of almost every scene, you see, like, Barkley's getting checked out and Crusher's mm-hmm. running the scanner all over him. And in the background, you just see Riker, like, ow, and he's getting yes. the spikes pulled out. And I'm just, I'm just dying. Like, Jonathan Franks is just, like, destroying the scene. It's um, so good. It's so good. But, but yeah, most importantly, Barkley is in sickbay. And he's freaking out. He's been on WebMD, and he thinks he has cancer. And yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. He's actually. He's been looking up all the Starfleet diseases, and Beverly's very frustrated with him. And it, it does turn out that something is wrong with Barkley, but it's, like, nothing crazy. He just has a deficiency that no one else happens to have. So he has this type of flu strain. I can't remember which alien species of flu it is. Yeah. But everyone else on the ship has an immunity to it and Barkley's just missing that like DNA so Barkley has the flu that's too yeah. bad so well, and he thinks he has Torellia death syndrome which is what McCoy and Dr. Ta'ana had <laughs> so <laughs> it's likely actually but um no the world is hollow and I've touched the spider oh god <laughs> <laughs> why would you ruin that episode <laughs> <laughs> oh god um so uh basically crusher tries to replicate this part of barkley's dna so he can have something that will fight against the flu and this is what starts all of this chaos and the entire crew develop a disease that causes them to de-evolve yeah. That's it. That's the plot. That's the um plot. and but to like catastrophic 
consequences. So luckily, the two most important people, Picard and Data, um, yeah. are randomly sent off the ship because Worf was testing the weapons defense system and he yeah. was like doing all these things. And he's been working so hard and he sends out this missile and it like goes rogue. And then the Enterprise like can't like lock onto it and grab it. And so yeah, you can't just have a stray torpedo out in space. That's very no, dangerous. it's not good. And so um, it's kind of a pain, but Picard and Data have to go in a shuttle and retrieve the torpedo on their own because Worf is like totally messed up. And Picard's kind of mad. He's like, um, maybe next time you should fix this. And Worf is like, Ugh, like I've been, I've been trying, yeah. bro. <laughs> oh, and honestly, the part that broke my heart in this episode is when Worf is like, you know, kind of already de-evolving and like he's eating like a madman in uh, 10 forward. Troy joins him and he's saying like, it's all my fault. And Troy says, you always say this and it's not your fault. And it just like breaks my heart to think how many times Worf blames himself for things that are clearly not his his issue. Like, Poor Mr. Wolf. He did great. <laughs> Mr. Wolf did the best he could um, with the with the torpedoes he had. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we see already that people are acting bizarre. Like, Troy is really thirsty and freezing, and <laughs> Worf is, like, overheating and overeating and, like, growling and starting to want to mate That's with me. Troy. <laughs> overheating and overeating. <laughs> That's me in the summer, amen. Yes, totally. <laughs> the thing I find so scientific scientifically inconsistent about this episode is that everyone doesn't de-evolve in the same way like i i would think that by species they de-evolve in around like similarly like the humans would go back to apes but no troy's turning into an amphibian and, like, okay but she's half so beta z she's half true, beta z and so who yeah. knows maybe they have stronger fish dna than good point, um good point yes i mean that's that i will i will give them that i will yes. not give them the Picard the turning into a lemur and Riker turning into like an early human. <laughs> yeah, and, and the spider makes zero percent sense. I think what they were trying to do with the spider is like it's this activated gene that Beverly gave. I, and Rihanna, I'm I'm giving them as many yes. caveats as I can. I just handed them totally. like it's Halloween, and I said you can take the bowl home of Literally. caveats, you know. <laughs> Um, like, yes, that's fine because the Barkley spider scares me. So get off of my porch. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's just jump to it now because we have to get this horrid image out of the brain <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, I don't think I like retained this episode in my brain because it was very traumatizing. All, I, all I remember was frog, like amphibian Troy and mm -hmm. Riker. That's all I remember yes. because Riker, he, he looks like a Neanderthal almost totally. like his brain is smaller. He can't understand English. He's just like yeah. in the ready room trying to eat Picard's fish. I know. Which I was like, oh. Also canonically like should be gone. Oh my God. <laughs> Another animal thing I get to rage about. Wow. <laughs> and it, actually, I can't. I can't be sure that that's true. But I know that. Well, but was there an episode like? Did was there a fish at all in season seven? Because I know in season six with four lights when they went on their mission, Jellico yeah. got rid of the of Livingston. Yeah, and and Patrick Stewart had that whole thing about not yeah. capturing fish. So so I don't know. Are there other <laughs> season seven episodes with a fish? Anyway, <laughs> so this these writers said we're gonna just completely screw continuity this episode and just make it crazy, and then they did. I was glad because I expected Riker to turn around and have like the fish in his mouth or something. So I'm really glad they didn't go that route. <laughs> yeah, that would not have been good. Um, yeah. But 
uh, poor Picard, like, so, so all of this is happening because Data, I mean, this happened so fast because Picard yeah. and Data were only gone for a couple of hours. Three days, actually. Oh, three days? Dang! Yeah, tracking it takes down that a torpedo. long time to get that torpedo. Like, yeah. what did they talk about? Oh my gosh, right? like, Data know, probably right? recited a lot of his poetry. Picard's, like, totally. falling asleep in the shuttle. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, so once they're back on the Enterprise, thank you, Rihanna, three days, the ship is completely devoid of human life. There is not a human amongst them. And even Picard has already been infected by the disease. The moment he steps on the ship, he's getting so anxious, poor baby. And he's, Data says that he's having more primal instincts where he is able to sense more heightenedly when, uh, which is good English, uh, when like things are watching him. And so when they're Mm -hmm. down in engineering, Picard gets really stressed and he's like, there's something here. I don't like this. Also, Chrissy, wake up. Um, but, I don't like this. But there's a lot of spider webs around. And this is, yeah, I had no memory of this. And I just kept thinking, who has spider DNA? I thought it was like a bullion or like yeah. a completely different species. And the fact that it was mm-hmm. Barkley that has a spider jump scare, that's just rude. Straight rude. It was just horrifying. And <laughs> I think like they definitely did well with the spooky parts of this episode because like the makeup's really good. Like Troy's an amphibian is like really scary looking and um, how she's like face down in the water. Like I remember first time seeing this, like, oh my God, is she drowned? And I'm like, nope, she's just a fish. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> Continue on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I also want to note that um, like something that really adds to the atmosphere is when Picard and Data first get on the Enterprise, they have to use their flashlights because all the lights are mm-hmm. out. And it's these big, like, bulky square flashlights, but it adds a perfect amount of light onto the scene where you're kind of squinting and you're getting stressed because you can't really see what's going on. And you hear, like, animal noises, people running around the ship. It's very spooky. Also, I'm going to put this notion out there. I hereby suggest (laughs) whenever something happens on the Enterprise that is affecting the whole crew, you should sedate everyone immediately. Knock them out. Put them in sick bay. Put them in their rooms. Knock them out. I'm not talking about like wolf in the fold, give them all drugs and get them high kind of sedation. (laughs) I'm talking about Strange New World, Ghost of Illyria. They had a great idea in that episode and that is to knock everyone the F out. Like, I don't know how well it would have worked against Worf, but Mm -hmm. for everyone else, just just sedation. (laughs) Yes. Uh, agreed. And I think another protocol should be is that if the space or if you come back to a ship and it's adrift and there's no like human life signs, maybe wear a bio suit. Maybe, uh, I don't know, like check if there's a virus or or like don't go in unprotected. Sure, Data's fine. Like he's whatever. But like Picard, I'm sorry, but like I think that honestly like spacefaring since enterprise has become way too complacent about viruses <laughs> they're like it's fine <laughs> <laughs> it's for the plot um because like you know we have so many detox moments in enterprise where they're like very very careful about keeping people inside a specific area quarantined if there's a virus and that is so helpful and i just think that they're kind of dumb like everyone just acted so stupidly in this episode and i think that's the other thing that just like irritates me about it and makes it such a terrible episode to me is like no one's using their executive functioning to like think through the situation obviously it deteriorates so fast that they can't like Riker literally can't remember command codes and like (laughs) everyone's you know like poor Crusher I think it's the worst of it she gets like spit in the face by Worf's poison (laughs) mouth (laughs) like I don't know what he evolved to de-evolved to some sort of Klingon beast 
that look like a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Really evolved to Groot. (laughs) (laughs) Terrifying wanna mate Groot. (laughs) Like it definitely has the body horror and like the jump scares and like the good makeup of a horror movie. But the plot is just so silly and the uh, yeah, everything else about it is just so insane. It's so hard to take seriously. See, I I hear you, Rihanna, I do, but I just, I don't know, I enjoyed it. And I actually thought Worf looked really awesome and that yeah. the, it's, it's even spookier because you don't really see what he is, but you know yeah. that he's some form of a de-evolved Klingon who are already a really powerful species like Klingons alone like just normal Klingons have like multiple organs like redundant things in their body so they're really hard to kill and so I'm imagining all of this of course the uh, it's what I'm supplying it's not what the episode supplies um but I'm imagining like how insane would it be to try to kill this thing that Worf has become and how scary is he um especially when he's trying to break into sickbay that Data and Picard are in and Picard gets like Troy's pheromones and is like spraying them around. And I'm feeling very like uptight watching Picard run through the ship and try not to get attacked by Worf as he goes. I just think it's good that suspense. Was a great and scene. Yeah, yeah, I have, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I, my complaint, and I, this is going to be the start of a complaint for pretty much every other episode after this, is that the resolution happens too quickly and we don't get yeah. to see it. And it's log supplemental. <laughs> like then it's just done. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like a little like like a little spray and spots or spot. Um we didn't even talk about the spots a lizard. Spots a lizard, everyone. Um yeah. with a pink collar. That's my favorite image ever. I was cackling. I was like, there's honestly cute little kittens and Picard yeah. and Nader are like, where's Spot? And there's just a lizard with a collar. <laughs> it's amazing. Honestly, the only thing that would have made that scene better is if like lizard or iguana spot had like if the kittens were trying to like get milk from it or yes something, you yeah, know? yeah. like where's mom what's <laughs> like what's happening honestly i feel most terrible for uh Alyssa who has a baby in her right now and for those poor kittens who are like starving trying to get milk well okay so Alyssa, like because it shows that data got the answer from her embryo in the end mm-hmm. Alyssa is a full monkey like she's an actual yeah. like animated cgi monkey like doesn't yeah. look like war doesn't look like swinging lemur who Picard will Mm-mm. become which I, I kind of wish we saw lemur Picard but it's fine um <laughs> I I just like again it's inconsistencies of like humans have pretty like they have all the same DNA and we all came from the same like species of monkey even it's not like we came yeah. from gorillas like we came from yeah, all the on. same exact um like species so it's it's crazy but anyway, um, yeah, it's like Data figures it out, and it's like, Captain's Log, we figured it out, everyone feels better, da 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 and it's like, <laughs> what? We don't even hear, because Rush- Crusher, you know, she got this acid spit on her, and she's gonna need an entire reconstructive surgery. Yeah. And we never heard anything about that either. Nope, Crusher's fine. She, Rihanna, don't worry, she, it worked out. Great, I'm um, so glad. <laughs> yeah, I did like the end, where Beverly is looking over Barkley again, and saying like, it was you, but it was also me who caused this whole yeah. scenario. Um, <laughs> With the T-cell. Yeah. yeah, and so then Barkley leaves, and she says to Troy, um, he transformed into a spider, and now he has a disease named after him, and Troy says, I think I'd better clear my calendar for the next few weeks. <laughs> That is 100% accurate. He will be there. He needs therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, well, the next, we're going to move on to the next section, which is nightmares. But also, it does affect the whole crew. 
So, Night Terrors. This one opens with the Enterprise has encountered a ship that has been missing for 29 days. It's the Britain. And they go on board. I'm, I can't remember what the music sounded like, but I remember that the music was very awesome and yes. badass in this moment and very spooky and scary. Great scene when they are on the Britain because you see that everyone has, they're covered in wounds. They're all messed up. Um, Different it, types of wounds as Yes, well. yeah. People have, like, some people have, like, objects into their chest. Some people are just, like, on the ground, like, looking awful. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, a whole ship full of, of cadavers, basically. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Yes. This is such a great way to open this, but I was kind of laughing because it took 29 days to respond to a distress call. What were they doing? Where was the ship? Where was the Enterprise the closest? Like, I'm just so curious as to how this even happened. No, they they explained it. Um, maybe poorly, but okay. they are in a part of space that is far away from a starbase and any kind of like subspace buoy, and so it takes two mm. weeks for the messages to get out. And so oh, by the time they that. got this distress call, they had already been stranded for two weeks and it took them, it seems like two more weeks to get to them. Oh, that's tragic. So that makes it even more horrible to think about the crew who went through this before, like knowing that there wasn't even hope of anyone getting to them in time. They're in deep space. Yeah. And this is why it's so freaky when the same type of symptoms start to happen on the next generation crew. I don't know why I said next generation, but <laughs> started to happen <laughs> yeah. on the crew. Um, in case you forgot, this is the next generation episode of the spooky series. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we haven't said it enough. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so essentially Everyone is starting to have symptoms. They are anxious. They are not confident. They're sleepy. They're grumpy. They're getting frustrated with each other. Yeah, extremely paranoid. And Crusher, of course, her main job is like figuring out what happened to the body. So she's doing a ton of autopsies. And she pulls Picard over. You know, they're trying to figure out what happened to the Bertain, what happened to this crew. And... They watch the last captain's log, which is a great trope. It's one of my favorites. So good. Where you get to watch the last captain's log um, of the captain of the Britain. And she is talking about how her first officer is going to betray her and just how, like, he's going to mutiny and everything's going wrong on the ship. And as you go back further in her captain's logs, you can tell that this is a situation that just got worse and worse and worse because people were not trusting each other and they were just completely stranded. Nothing really works. There's no propulsion systems. Jordy's trying really hard to rig the ship even for towing. Like he's trying to get the impulse engines online or, you know, because that that would be really easy if you could just fly the ship away. Um, But of course you can't. And even like the tractor beam, like nothing is working. And then suddenly the Enterprise starts to have these exact same things start to happen to it. And that's the first thing to go is they're stuck in space, totally adrift. And I also want to know that this is 16 minutes in. And uh, I compliment Next Generation and Voyager episodes, especially because they're able to figure out the plot really quickly and yes. like get to work on what's happening. And so I thought it was interesting that it took it was so fast for them to be stuck adrift like the Bretagne so quickly into the episode because I feel like 
a lot of times that's sort of like the halfway point reveal is like, oh, we're stuck. You know, what do we do? But this this happens right away. And the focus of the episode is more upon what is happening to the crew and how they're going to fix it, which I really appreciate. It's a different type of episode than we normally see. Yeah, and I think it adds to the suspense because – when we know what's happening, but we don't have a way to stop it, that's way scarier to me, you know? Because, like, at least if you're if you're still trying to figure out what's going on, then you still have hope for a solution. You know, you're like, okay, well, if we figure it out, we'll know how to stop it. But Crusher figures out pretty quickly that no one on the ship except Troy has been dreaming. That no one can enter REM sleep, which is essential for your survival. And it turns out, you know, that, like scientifically in general if you do not dream and if you don't do not enter REM after a while you start to go mad and you start having hallucinations you have like heightened emotional levels like anxiety and paranoia and everything is just like horrible in your brain because you're unable to enter that state of sleep because your brain chemistry is different like it's being altered because you're not having this regulated sleep and so I think that especially watching poor Crusher, like having to already have figured this out and they have no way to fix it and no idea how to even make it stop is way scarier to me, you know? Yes. Well, I'm just amazed that Crusher figured this out because this yeah. already happened to the crew of the Bertain and no, like their doctor didn't figure out what was happening to them. I know mm-hmm. they, like Crusher is aided because she has this like first trial <laughs> that happened sure, with the yeah. Bertain, but I was just impressed that she even figured out what's going on because it's it's so strange that the ship isn't working, like no propulsion systems are working, and the crew is starting to like have all these side effects, and it doesn't seem like those two things are related. So yeah. like just picking apart the evidence of like what's the cause of this is really hard. Um, seems like it would be really hard to figure out. And so once she nails down it, oh my gosh, it's because we're not dreaming. It's like, okay, one thing down. Um, I was just proud of Crusher. Like, she got this. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and um, Picard, because when she was asking Picard, like, oh, have you been dreaming? Picard's like, well, I don't really ever remember my dreams. And, uh, you know, so there is that. But just as a personal story, like, I get nightmares like every other night. And so I have just like, a hard time waking up in the morning because I'm really disoriented and actually Jordy says this in a different episode but like those nightmares will stick with me for quite a few days after and I'm like still thinking about what I had like five days ago and thinking about what I had last night so at first I was like super jealous I'm like wow good for you all you're not dreaming like great so happy for you but then like Crusher was explaining what happens when you don't dream and I'm like okay I'd rather have nightmares <laughs> like I'm fine to be like a little bit like messed up in my sleep if I can wake up and like be healthy in my real life so just like you know it's a little bit of a comfort to me almost uh, as a person who gets a lot of bad dreams to be like well at least I'm not gonna go mad during the time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so weirdly that was kind of comforting <laughs> got that figured out yeah yeah um I love Picard has a, a story about his grandfather how he went from being a really proud and intelligent man, like a genius, and then the older he got, um, he started to lose his mind and lose his memory. And I'm thinking it was probably from the same type of, um, we know that Picard has a um, mm. like thing going on in his mind that they yeah, explore. Mental, or a, yeah, like... Um, I can't remember what they call it. Condition like in his brain. Yeah, yeah um, but they, they explore that. Brain abnormality, they call it in Picard. Because yeah. they don't want to use the name in... I keep thinking all, all good things. All good oh, things. Oh, yeah, all good yeah. things. I was thinking the big mm-hmm. goodbye. Yeah, and all they mention it in all good things. Um, mm-hmm. 
But uh, I'm thinking that was what caused his grandfather to go mad. But I, I love Picard's, he has a little moment. I love, I love Picard's speech about that because that's one of the things that he's most scared of is starting to lose his mind. And oh boy, Picard Same. looks rough in this episode. Everybody yeah. looks so tired. And I am just like in awe of this crew and their ability to keep it together because the rest of the crew, like the lower deck situation is getting pretty risky where yeah. like this one guy is, I'm just calling him red shirt. So dude. He's <laughs> yeah. like trying to start a rebellion on the ship. And he's like, Picard's yeah. keeping us in the dark, which I will say Picard should have made like an announcement. <laughs> like, yeah, hello, <laughs> you are not dreaming. This means you are hallucinating. <laughs> like, <there you> go. <laughs> I mean, I sweet and simple. I do think like maybe they're so far gone that even if he was communicating with them, he still would have been like, Oh, this is an inside job. He's yeah. telling us this thing. And really it's totally. three, five, nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. Um, I agree with Picard. That is one of my biggest fears as well, is losing my mind and like losing sort of my grip on reality. And so I think that this episode super taps into those fears for me. And that is what a successful horror movie or type of media I think does really well is like hits you way too close to home, you know? And um, just watching them all start to slowly deteriorate and slowly lose their minds is so, so unsettling to me. And it like really, really gets to me. And so I really enjoyed this episode because I felt all of the like unease so acutely and everything felt very palpable. And the, just the acting is so incredible. Like you said, everyone looks so haggard and tired and, um, and I'm just like especially proud of Troy and Crusher and Guinan in this episode. They really steal the show. Like they are able to all work together. Guinan's got her big gun <laughs> so she can keep everyone in order because Ten Forward becomes sort of a like triage center for people who are like completely out of it and just like off the rails. And she is able to keep order with that annoying lower decks guy. And then Crusher is of course trying to figure out medically the solution. And then Troy is over there. She's the only one dreaming, but she's having nightmares. And she is trying to figure out what is happening to the other Betazoid who was on the ship. And he's like catatonic from the other ship who yeah, survived. Yeah, he's the only survivor was this Betazoid. And they, they yeah. can communicate to telepathically, but mm -hmm. he's very disjointed. Like he can't mm -hmm. speak in full sentences. He keeps saying like double. And I'm like double, yeah. double, Troy in Troy trouble. Is that what you're trying yeah. to say, sir? <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I also really have to, I have another shout out to, um, the awesome music in Troy's dream sequences. The first yes. couple dreams you just see her like flying through a cloud. It's so cheesy, but amazing. It's so cheesy. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But in the final time, because, um, thank God for data, like the women in data are yes. the really like destroy this episode with yes. their amazingness. So they come up with this plan. Um, Troy realizes that um, what she's been hearing in this nightmare over and over again is the words like twin moons and this yeah, one stuff. moon circles. Yeah, like things like that. And when she's looking at the composition of a hydrogen atom, it looks exactly like what she's seen in the dream and what they've been describing. And so her and Data are like, oh my gosh, like, does that mean? Also, by the way, we didn't even mention they're caught in the Tykens Rift. That's the answer to why the ship isn't working correctly. Mm -hmm. Is It's basically like two things of matter are surrounding the Enterprise and they're just in this space where they can't go forward, can't go back because the gravity is being like sucked away. It's, it's kind of mm -hmm. like black holes, but like not quite. Um, but this guy who it's named after, Tyken, was able to get out of this by creating a massive explosion. 
And so Data's like Googling on the computer how to <laughs> yeah. make things explode. And he's been trying this entire time and the crew is getting worse and worse and worse. Also, by the way, I would, this is another, just, just um, make everyone pass out. Like, why yeah. are they allowed to just roam around the ship? I would just, if I was the doctor, I'd be like, you're going to sleep, everybody. Today, like, everyone. Night, yeah. night, except Even Troy and Crusher dream, like, and Data. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everyone should be in their quarters sleeping. But mm-hmm. anyway, so finally, they realize there's an alien presence on the other side of this anomaly who's also stuck. And that's who's yeah. been sending Troy these dreams. So they've been communicating via... Um, telepathy and so they come up with this awesome plan where Troy just needs to say a simple word to them which is now and Data's going to release the hydrogen into the anomaly and then they're going to create this explosion that's going to free both of the ships that's what's happening and it's awesome and this is right at the time where Guinan pulls out her big gun so you just feel like woohoo like the women as Spock would say (laughs) (laughs) totally um also have to mention I think probably the most hair-raising part of this episode for me uh has always been like I think about this scene actually quite a lot is when Crusher is examining all the bodies and they're all in their body bags these like white sort of semi-clear body bags and she's like pulling back someone's face looking at it doing some tricorder readings and then you just hear this like creaking rustling sound and then she turns around and every single body in sickbay is sitting up and like as if they've come back to life and crusher has nerves of steel like she does not go run screaming down the halls she just backs up against the wall and says like you're not real go away go away and then when she opens her eyes they're all back to being dead and laying you know where they were before but that scene Ooh, it's so good. It's so creepy. She's just the coolest. And I know yeah. Remember Me is not on our watch list, but mm-hmm. it does take me back to Remember Me and how amazing she is in that episode. Totally. And one other thing that is also so horrible in this episode is Worf nearly kills himself yep. because he is feeling like these hallucinations and the sort of weakened mental state he's in makes him feel like he's unworthy of life because for Klingons, you know, like this is like their worst fear <laughs> is not dying in battle, but dying from like a mental illness type thing, you know, and um, or from something that they can't control. And he feels like it's his fault for being so weak. And Troy has this amazing conversation with him. She stops him from uh, killing himself and she says to admit that you're afraid gives you strength you know and so it just is like really a great reminder that like sometimes you have to let the fear in to let it go you know and I think that she really helped Worf through that moment obviously and but that's just a really scary thought that like our most strong character was the one in probably like the most danger of dying seriously yeah when you see him go to his quarters grab that blade and then he's covering it with like ritual liquid and he's saying the words just thank god that troy like thought to come check on him you know i think she probably like heard his thoughts because he just bolted off the bridge you know and she followed him and that was just great great instincts yeah oof poor wharf yeah amazing episode though like truly i think one of the scariest ones that we've definitely talked of so far and just like in general, I think the ambiance of this was truly incredible, the way they set this up. Agreed. Agreed. All right, well, let's continue down Nightmare Alley and <laughs> go on to Phantasms. First thing I noticed is that this episode was directed by Sir Patrick Stewart. Woo, so woo. this is amazing. Um, I looked it up, and there are only five episodes that Patrick Stewart directed in all of TNG, and those were In Theory, Fistful of Dados, 
hero worship, preemptive strike, and phantasms. So all very, like pretty much all very data-centric episodes. I think him and Brent Spiner had a great time with these. Uh, preemptive strike is a Rolaren episode. So just some really fantastic ones. And I love seeing the Patrick Stewart style, you know, like he's got a very specific directing style and it's freaking fantastic. It's great. Well, and right away, my favorite phrase, right away, when this episode first starts, it's a very creepy camera angle because we're starting in Data's dream. And yes. it's, it reminds me of in the original series when you have a camera like following Kirk's and like watching him almost like a POV perspective. Yeah. The camera's like a little bit lower and we're watching Data go through the Enterprise. He has this interaction with Geordi that's, in, for lack of a better term, robotic. Um, yeah. Like they're both speaking very strangely to each other. There's some minors, uh, like literally not like young children, like <laughs> like men working on coal miners. <laughs> yeah, coal, like coal miners. And a phone is ringing, which gives me anxiety. Like after working in retail, um, yeah. every time a phone is ringing, I'm like, oh, I'm stressed out. Yeah. yeah, someone get the phone. Uh, do I have to talk to a Karen? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's just like a great way to set up this episode. I'm feeling very spooked out. Especially because the miners start dismantling data. Like they're pulling his arms off. They're pulling his legs. Like, and they like surround and encompass him. And it looks kind of like they're devouring him almost. Creepy. Yeah. And then we find out this is data's dream, which mm -hmm. is weird because... Data doesn't dream. <laughs> I am an android. He has unlocked dreaming at this point from soon. So oh, he has congrats, unlocked dreaming. This is yeah, because he talked about his dream program. So this is oh, after this is after Raven. Raven. Okay, it might be yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is he's 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 trying out a new program, but he's only getting nightmares recently, and he's definitely disconcerted by this. As I would be as well, and as you are, Rihanna. Yeah, I'm like, I'm only getting nightmares recently. Yeah, <laughs> can, can I get my program, get a tune-up, maybe? Literally. Um, so, yeah, I love, too, that Data talks with Jordy about this, and he tells Jordy that he's been fixing, fixating a lot on his nightmare imagery, and this is where Jordy says the line about, like, oh, yeah, I'll have nightmares where I think about them for the next few days. And it's just a really great conversation, because I think... You know, a lot of times Data doesn't get to talk about stuff that is bothering him or stuff just doesn't really bother him. And so it actually adds to to the suspense of the episode that something is bothering Data. Like that's that's definitely really tricky and scary to me. Yeah, and especially because Data is the quarterback of the ship. Without totally. Data, they would have died so many times. I mean, mm -hmm. Data is just like one of the most important crew members simply because he isn't human. And a lot of the things that happen to affect the other crew does not happen to him. So he's like, Picard really relies on him right, to fix a lot of situations. And mm -hmm. so to know that there's something wrong with him is very disconcerting. Absolutely. Yeah. And also I'm very happy that Ensign Gates appears in this episode and this is Jocelyn Robinson who plays Ensign Gates and we get to see her in like a bunch of different spooky episodes that we watch so I just thought that was kind of a cool link you know that she's always in the really scary ones. Yeah she's um the other helmsman who's sitting next to Data during this yeah. episode yeah. Yeah and she's gonna have a different hairstyle later on but I looked it up and it's the same lady in schisms so like it's Love just her. really neat. Yeah. yeah. Um so Data and all of his uh concern about what's going on with his dreams he talks to a couple people he first talks to troy and she encourages him to explore his dark side and to lean into the like dark side of consciousness that you're experiencing 
mm-hmm. which um, is interesting advice. I think it's from her perspective, it's harmless because he is an android and he is doing some self-discovery later we're gonna see troy give this exact same advice to Riker in a different episode Mm -hmm. and so i feel like you can take the chance to explore your dark side like as long as you're armed with what could happen i don't know i yeah i just like worry about (laughs) this advice (laughs) well i think she always gives the advice without the realization that there's actually something like supernatural or scientific like going on here and this kind of reminds me vaguely of um, Bob Newby in uh, Stranger Things season two where he tells Will Byers to be like just stand your ground and say go away you know to these bad dreams because he's having a lot of waking nightmares and he's saying like just yell go away but of course that is what then gets the mind flare inside of Will and it is the really wrong advice but that's because Bob had no idea about this entire upside down so it's similar kind of idea of like Troy doesn't understand the context of the nightmares and that it's truly a manifestation of these like bug-like creatures that they have on them (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it's a great point Data also goes to talk to Freud. Um, <laughs> so, so dumb. I love that Troy later on is like, don't consult Sigmund before you consult me. <laughs> I just, I understand what Data's coming from. Like, oh, I'll use the holodeck to like talk mm-hmm. to great, um, like psychiatrists, but he's, he's, he chose too, Freud? he's too old fashioned. Like, no. <laughs> People shouldn't be listening to Freud really at all in this era. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly. Because of course Freud is like, it's oh you wanna you you wanna have sex with Troy. Like you have latent you have latent anger against your father and you hate your mother and he's like, I don't have a mother. Like I I feel like know, this should be a deleted silly. scene. Like it shouldn't have even been in the episode. <laughs> it really took me out of the spookiness of it. Yeah, it's giving Mark Twain and I just try not to think about that yeah. Mark Twain episode if I don't have to. His dreams then continue to develop, and in the second sequence, we see that Troy is a cake. It's the famous scene. I love yes. the Troy cake. I want that at, maybe, should I have that at my, like, wedding? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of, like, a Halloween party, but you know, maybe a wedding. <laughs> Just, sure. Yeah, we're, we're doing another um, giant wedding since I had a tiny, tiny COVID wedding, but I mm-hmm. think everyone would like a Troy cake. Um <laughs> Uh, and then also, like, Beverly's drinking a straw out of Will's head, mm-hmm. and uh, the phone Data realizes is in his body. <laughs> he opens yep. it up, and he's like, hello? <laughs> What's going on? Um, and, wait, does anyone answer, or is that Freud on the phone then? I can't remember. Um, no, the first time Data answers, and... I think it tells him to kill them all or something. And so he's just like, that's weird anyway. I'm going to wake up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then Data starts having waking nightmares. So he sees a knife that he used it because when the Troy cake happens, he cuts into Troy at her shoulder and it's like hurting her, you know, and then he wakes up and he's like, I was hurting Troy. And then he has a engineering tool that looks quite like the serrated knife he used on Troy in the dream. And so then he kind of has like a flashback moment almost, but it's this like waking nightmare where then he's like, you know, oh, kill them all, kill them all. And he actually sees a little mouth open up on Jordy's neck. It's really scary. And then, you know, it vanishes and everything is supposedly fine, but they're still trying to investigate Data's uh, like daytime nightmares. Yeah. Once he's having the waking nightmares, that's like the tipping point for me mm-hmm. where it's getting scary and the kind of the idea that data could be a danger to other people on the ship because the way he's holding the knife is not comforting at all. 
No. Um, and so then one of my favorite scenes and Rihanna and I just like, we love the scene is when mm-hmm. um, Toy's walking down the hallway, going to the turbo lift and she feels like someone is following her because she keeps looking around yeah. and then, but she doesn't see anyone. Finally, she gets in the turbo lift. There's Data. He stabs her. He stabs yeah. Troy like multiple times in the same spot in the shoulder. I am so impressed by the scene because the camera work, again, is exactly like the opening sequence. So you're not sure if it's a dream or if it's real, but like we just came from a reality moment. We don't think Data's dreaming again. And to find out he isn't is terrifying, especially when the turbo lift's about to close and Data sticks his arm in. Like, ooh, that is some good television. Yeah, it's a huge Johnny moment for sure. Totally. Yeah, so, uh, and Data said the reason he stabbed her was because there was a mouth on Troy's shoulder, just like the mouth he saw on Jordy's neck. And so, um, of course, Deanna's very concerned about this. Like, Ashlyn and I watched this episode together, and I'm telling her, like, I would not be okay to be around Data for quite a long time after that, you know? Because, like, he's someone you trust so implicitly, and then to have that traumatic thing happen to you, like, is, even if it was because he saw the bug or, like, had an inclination it was there, Still terrifying. Yeah, I would not want to be alone with him. I totally agree. It's a breach of trust. And Picard does the right thing by confining him to quarters. Mm-hmm. And Data, sadly, gives this time a male spot to yeah. Worf. Uh, it's a cute yes. moment. It's like, tell, tell him, him he's, he's a pretty, a pretty cat. cat. Yeah. <laughs> and a good cat. I will feed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a good scene. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. it, it shows that Data is as worried about himself in his way as the as the rest of the crew is. So I'm glad yeah. they're taking this seriously because this, you know, it, it, it's unsettling because you, you don't understand why Data's acting this way. He doesn't understand why. And they keep running diagnostics over and over again on Data. Nothing's working. Also, poor Jordy is working overtime in engineering because the ship isn't working. And they keep trying to go to yeah. warp and it's not going to warp. And they just had their shiny new warp core from a Starbase and they are like it's a whole it's a new system and Jordy's so excited to make it work because it's going to be a lot better um and none of it is working which Picard's really glad because he gets to skip the admiral's uh, dinner <laughs> but everyone else is stressed he's <laughs> he's made excuses for six years that he can't go and so when this happens he's kind of like oh nice great this yeah great. <laughs> yeah um yeah, I think also, talk about some freaky parts, like this This episode's chock full of them, but when Crusher finally uses the interphasic scanner to show all the little bug thingies on everybody that are, like, invisible, that is freaky, and I do not know how they all keep their composure, because, like, I hate bugs in general, and so any sort of buggy episodes of Star Trek, I my skin crawls, and so I think I'd just be itching that spot for, like, over and over and over. Like, someone would probably have to sedate me, because, like, I would not be calm about this. <laughs> I would head for voluntary sedation and be like, all right, Crusher, yep. put me under. I can't <laughs> deal with these bugs. <laughs> I cannot think about a bug just, like, sucking my life force out of me. Yeah. yeah, and it's not even, like, obviously you can't see them, you can't feel them, and when she puts a scanner over other people in sick bay, it's on their faces. Like, it's on Ugh. areas that are, like, important. Like, Riker's, like, the top of his head, Jordy's mm-hmm. his cheek. It's it's too much, Bob. It's really, it's too, really. The too... way they do it is so good. Like, I love how even in the 80s, like, all of these effects stuff really holds up. Like, they did amazing jobs with all of this. Yeah, surprisingly well. It looks great. And this isn't even, mm-hmm. like, remastered TNG. This is just, like, right. raw TNG. <laughs> raw TNG. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, mm-hmm. I agree with you that it's crazy how calm they are because they have a meeting about it in the conference room. And they're all just mm-hmm. like, all right, so we got these bugs. What do we do? Like, yeah, nope, not yeah. cool. Data doesn't have the bugs. And so this is when they mm-hmm. have the idea that they can um, put Data's dreams on display in the holodeck. And then Jordy and Picard can watch the dream and kind of try to analyze it as the dream yeah. happens. And I love mm-hmm. this. Rihanna, so cool. I want you to share with me what you did when we were watching it together. Yeah, well, I love because as we're going on, they're seeing the, the uh, coal miners come back in and they're like disrupting the warp core. Then they see the Troy cake again. They see that Worf is eating like a polyamor cake with mint frosting or something and uh Crusher is like sucking the straw on Riker's head again and Picard is going like ah like there's themes of consumption and it really makes me feel like they're in like a poetry workshop like I was thrown right back to college I'm like this is me when I'm analyzing a poem I'm like oh yes themes of decay (laughs) it was just really great I love their analytical skills it's so helpful well yeah and they're able to figure out that Data's subconscious is actually warning him against the bugs. And somehow Mm -hmm. he knew Mm -hmm. that they were on the ship. And so in his dream, a couple of times, he's like emitted this loud, like, ah, like like, data shriek. And (laughs) the frequency he's emitting it as uh, at destroys the bugs and cause them great harm. So that's how they solve it. The ending's too quick, guys. It's, It's too quick. Um, they wake Data up out of his dream and he screams and the bugs are gone. And yeah. I, again, like, I feel like they just get too wrapped up in how mm-hmm. awesome this plot is. They're like, oh my God, it's been 43 minutes. We got to get out of here. <laughs> like, we got to yeah. end this episode. We have credits to roll. And yeah, because they explain in one line that it was from the new warp core that they got on the Starbase that carried these bugs. And so that was what what caused them to come on board. That's it. Boom. Done. The we do get a great ending scene where Troy is sort of, you know, facing her fear of data, <laughs> coming into his quarters. She's like, no hard feelings. I understand why you did it. Um, and she says, it's only fair, though. And she opens up <laughs> a little tray and it's a data cake and they consume data. So I think that that is just beautiful. Also another great metaphor. <laughs> so I love it. I love to see it. Yeah. I want that data cake. Same. Yeah. Um, okay, now this is the last episode of our Nightmare series. We are going to Schism. Schism Gate is here. Uh, we, hope that, we hope that summary's changed soon. Apparently. I haven't checked today, but maybe they saw the tweet. <laughs> I don't think so somehow. Paramount has a lot going on and they do not care about they the Schism. They do not schism care about their platform at all and how it looks. And, yeah. Or how the subtitles are like five seconds ahead. No, not at all. They don't care. No. I also want to say that the episodes that we're discussing, as well as the episodes we talked about in the original series, so many of them feature obsession. And I really think that obsession goes hand in hand with horror. You know, I think that someone has to become fixated for it to start to become a big issue. You know, Data is fixated on the dreams, Kirk on his cloud. Like, I can I can list almost every single episode we've discussed that has had someone overly fixate or begin to obsess over something, which can be either to their detriment or to solve the problem of the episode. So I just think that's really interesting and something I never really thought of in horror as a key element. So true, Rihanna. I had not thought about that. So schisms. Um, Riker is so tired. Poor baby. (laughs) This is how we start this episode. This is another tired Riker episode. He was so tired in Night Terrors. (laughs) Yeah, poor baby. Yeah, 
And so we see that he has been not getting much sleep in the past few days. He feels like his head hits the pillow and it's time to get up. And he's just drained, you know, like we see that he's late to shifts and stuff. And he's literally at one point asked Jordy, like, hey, can you wake me up? Like, I'm afraid I won't, like, I'm, I'm going to sleep for my alarm again. And he does, you know, and Jordy comes in and he's like, Commander, it's time to get up. And he's like, what? I just put my head on the pillow. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you, sir. It's 0700, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and for the first, like, couple minutes of this episode, it seems like maybe Riker's just having a bad couple days. But mm-hmm. when it gets to this point, he's like, okay, I need, I need to go to sickbay. <laughs> like, this yeah. this is not on good. His, his beautiful, bedazzled, sequined pillow. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love their, like, what they have for crew Sparkly, compliment. Yeah. like, <laughs> blankets and stuff. Yeah. Um, and once again, we see, uh, Jocelyn Robinson in this episode, but she is now Ensign Rager instead of Ensign, uh, Gates. Gates. So I thought that was a weird change, but sure. I'm glad she's still in there. (laughs) I mean, at least she looks the same, like, you know. Yeah, she has a a different hairstyle, but that's it. This is a moment where, you know, Rager's kind of like, oh, let me mansplain to you. Let me show you how it's done. And then he sits down on the console and feels the smoothness of the console and gets really wigged out. And he's like, never mind, you do it. And he sort of just has to like leave the bridge. So we know something's clearly up with him. Yeah, and there's a couple people who are having these reactions to seemingly random things on the Enterprise. Like Worf is getting his hair cut and the scissors kind of freak him out and he grabs the wrist of the barber as if he's yeah. gonna like like attack him and then he's like mm-hmm. oh okay i gotta go okay, so he yeah. he leaves his haircut prematurely i also want to note wait who else has issues uh it's also Jordy, and then a completely random woman who seems really cool i don't know what she does on the ship but uh, random she seems woman cool. yeah and then is it Troy? No, no, it's Troy who leads the investigation. She's really great because it, it is sort of de- dealing with, you know, like people's anxieties and their uh, like almost subconscious thoughts. And so she leads the charge on investigating why they're having like almost the exact same reactions to very similar things. Yeah, and she starts this because Riker goes to her uh, sharing his issues, which I just love that that's just such a constant throughout the series is... Uh, I mean, yeah, she's she's the counselor on the ship, but they're they have such a close friendship that Troy is like his consciousness. You know, he goes to yeah. her, he knows he's gonna get good advice, and she takes him seriously. And I mean, look at him; he looks terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not been sleeping. I also love that when he does end up going to sick bay. Crusher, she mentions REM sleep, and I thought it was funny because, yeah. oh, she learned from Night Terrors to always check, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. are they getting REM sleep? <laughs> I'd be paranoid AF after that. Like, yeah, people, seriously. People dreaming. Yeah. Absolutely. But Riker's problem is that he isn't sleeping at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, too, that this opening is the most beloved and one of my most very favorite scenes of all time is data's ode to spot his poem that he reads he first reads a lovely poem which i really enjoyed but everyone else is falling asleep through i'm I'm such an english major i was like i don't i love that he's doing poems with like a very strict meter like that's very data um Mm -hmm. and then he writes his own poem the ode to spot which was fantastic rihanna would you like to do an excerpt of ode to spot i can just recite it if that's okay yeah Okay. Felis Catus. Is your taxonomic nomenclature an endothermic quadruped carnivorous by nature? Your visual, olfactory, and auditory senses contribute to your hunting skills and natural defenses. I find myself intrigued by your subvocal oscillations, a singular development of cat communications that obviates your basic hedonistic predilection for rhythmic stroking of your fur to demonstrate affection. 
A tail is quite essential for your acrobatic talents. You would not be so agile if you lacked its counterbalance. And while not being utilized to aid in locomotion, it often serves to illustrate a state of your emotion. Oh, spot. Commander Riker, you have anticipated my denouement. Please, please wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spot. The complex levels of behavior you display connote a fairly well-developed cognitive array. And though you are not sentient, spot, and do not comprehend, I nonetheless consider you a true and valued friend. Okay, now I can clap. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing the Riker clap. That was amazing. I absolutely love that poem. Memorized it early on, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, I saw she was not cheating. Yeah, don't worry, in yeah. case you're wondering. <laughs> I mean, I've seen her do it, like, in person, memorized, yeah. so this is this has been in that brain for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah, the old noggin. <laughs> I mean, I wrote an ode to grudge, so <laughs> we oh. all know how it goes. Yes. Um. So... Anyway, a wonderful scene, but yeah, we're seeing Riker suffering here, and I think just... Sorry, I'm just a... laughing. We're seeing Riker suffering. <laughs> yeah, we're just seeing him suffer, <laughs> which poor Riker, he's going to suffer a lot in these next few episodes. Yes. But this episode particularly, I love that it's not sort of Riker alone in this. Like, I think it makes me feel better, too, that it's more people experiencing this, because you know everyone's going to take it seriously if, like, more people agree that, oh, smooth surfaces freak me out, or, oh, scissors are freaky. So they go to the holodeck, and they start narrowing down what is this surface or this object that is kind of disturbing these people. This part is really insane. I love yeah. this scene and I'm terrified by the scene because it starts out, they're, they're describing, oh, it, it's a table. And so Troy's like, mm-hmm. okay, uh, put a conference table. Like, let's just start with that. And then mm-hmm. slowly, one by one, they all chime in with different specifications. Like, Riker's like, it's too tall. Worf's like, it's not wood. Everyone's just like adding in um, their own things. And then finally, like, as soon as they make it metal, it changes from like a normal table to a clear like interrogation chair or like a torture chair yeah. or like something that's really threatening and ominous and and then like they darken the lights Jordy talks about there's a light that's just like shining in your eye like specified mm-hmm. light source um yeah. and the more that they make this vision a reality I'm just freaking out, like super, yeah. super creepy. And you can tell, like the acting is so good. You can feel that there's a to- total shift in the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, Troy's like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is not it's, good. Especially when Riker starts describing the strap that holds the people down, you know, it's showing. Because Riker was saying that when he touched the smooth surface of the console, he was feeling trapped and confined. And so me, who has deep claustrophobia, was, like, very terrified by the, even the notion of that. And so seeing that table with the strap and um, this, like, horrible device with the scissors that Worf was uh, scared of, you know, it, it really is all coming together to show they're all having the same nightmare almost which is just so what a scary experience to experience together yeah well and this is how they come to realize that the crew is being taken Mm -hmm. so this is i I love it because this is a trope that is like this is like every alien trope like oh i got kidnapped by an alien i was abducted by aliens and i was experimented on and then i was returned to earth and i remember Mm -hmm. it and this is what you know, people claim remember it vaguely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is actually happening on the Enterprise. And so I love that they were able to weave in this story, because we never really hear this about people like getting taken. This is one of the few plots ever in Trek 
to do this. And I just think it's brilliant. Um, yes. Again, how do they stay so calm? Like, oh my God. Picard asks, Training. like, is there anyone missing from the Enterprise? And there's two people missing. And one of them is yeah. the helmswoman. Yeah. From before, who has a new Lindsay name. Rager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this other person mm-hmm. who's like, I don't think he comes back. Oh, no, he does Lower come back. Lower Deckers or something. Yeah. Yeah, Lower Decker. Riker, we figure, because he's not been sleeping at all, has been taken every single night. Yeah, and and it's really scary when they finally get the final scene in the holodeck. Like they, and then um, I think it was Jordy or someone who says, "I've been in this room before," and mm-hmm. I just got like full chills. Oh, and mm, at I got that him again point, just now. <laughs> at that point, that's when they add the clicking noises too. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Someone meant. I think it was Russ earlier in mm-hmm. our uh, post mentioned the clicking noises one, and that is really scary because I just then think of bugs, and again, my thing with bugs, like, mm-hmm. not good. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I can't believe poor Riker. Uh, he also goes back to sickbay, and it turns out that his arm has been severed and reattached, is what uh, Crusher can figure. And again, Riker's pretty damn calm about this, at least outwardly. He almost has no reaction. He's like, oh. Yeah. He, he is just, like, compartmentalizing, shoving it down. Like, yeah. That would be very Starfleet of him. Yeah, so... And then, like, they're finding out that the ensign's blood is turning into liquid polymer. Like, lots of stuff going on. And Riker has to volunteer to be sort of the, like, test subject to get them out of the situation. And, like, let himself be taken, but just get a homing device on him. Yes. Well, and something that's been happening on the other end of the plot is there's this anomaly in Cargo Bay 4. They keep Mm -hmm. getting like incorrect readings of especially like Tetrions that are in the Cargo Bay, which should not exist in this universe um, Mm -hmm. unless it's a time travel episode. Exactly. um, I was thinking chromatons, but yeah. Oh, it's chromatons. That's right. There's a particles. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought time travel at first though. Yeah. Um, So that's interesting because you, you're trying to figure out how does, how do these two plots work together? Finally, it comes out that, these aliens are invading from another universe and they're using these particles to take everyone like through this portal. And there's a portal that's opening up in the cargo bay. Data's trying to close it. Um, I agree. Riker's so brave because he's the one who volunteers to go over there and save the remaining crew members. I think mm-hmm. it's just one. I think it's, yeah, it's just... it's just Rager again. Yeah, it's just Rager. Um, yeah. But Beverly shoots him up with something that's going to keep him awake during the procedure. Terrifying, terrifying, yeah. terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. So he can fight back uh, and like hopefully get her and then come back to the Enterprise. But Picard warns him, if you're trapped there, we can't get you back because our main goal is to close this rift to the Enterprise yeah. so no more people can get taken. And Racker doesn't even rack it. Um, <laughs> I'm like, racket, I've, been living, I've been living in Virginia too long. I'm like developing the accent. <laughs> Sweet Racker, he he doesn't even bat an eye. Um, he's, he's as sweet as a Georgia peach. <laughs> he is though. I love him. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, yeah. He just goes over there. He rescues her. It's an awesome rescue. All the click clackety aliens are distracted because um, Jordy and Data are fighting back and trying to close this rift. And Riker jumps through at the nick of time after he saves the ensign, yeah. and it's really close. <laughs> I wish we'd seen anything of Vincent Rager, like, in sickbay, recovering, anything. She had tubes in her arms. I'm like, I just want to know if she's okay. I mean, obviously she is, but, like, again, with these crazy fast endings, because we find out, yes, they're in a little other dimension, that they were trying to figure out ways to get, like, they couldn't go through themselves. That's why they were taking crew members. 
um, to see how they could get into the dimension that the Enterprise is in. I just think like the episode, what I, you know, we discussed in the original series is an episode that leaves you with more questions than answers. And I think this episode does this really well, even though it is an abrupt ending. I think it sort of serves it, you know, for this because I just feel uneasy with this ending. It's not really a, a fully complete thing. It's just like, we don't know why they were doing this. Um, you know, someone, I think it was Data, was like, maybe they're just investigating. And Riker's like, you wouldn't like kidnap people if you're just investigating. Like, that's clearly, they were doing something malevolent, but they never figure out what they were trying to do. No, and we have not heard from these aliens again in Trek. Like, Thank it's, God. <laughs> it's still an open case, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, and the there was one little part that escaped the portal, and it was like a little beam of light left, and like is still in this universe. So it, that's Ooh, yeah. kind of the like ominous possibilities. Like, who knows where that little beam of light went? Was it the clickety aliens? I don't know. Yeah. Scary stuff. Scary stuff. Um, Okay, well, we are entering the very last section of our podcast today. This is the conspiracy section, so makes sense that we should talk about conspiracy. This is a season one episode. Are you freaking kidding me? This episode's like should be season four. It's so good. It's so season one. (laughs) Good. The only thing bad about this episode is the effects. Well, yeah. that can't be helped poor guys <laughs> I'm, but they honestly still hold up you know i'll, I'll... They're still creepy enough you yeah know, there's something like because there's a difference between watching the exorcist today and you see like there's clearly someone shaking the bed underneath <laughs> versus like okay yeah that's a cgi bug but it's still crawling around creepily and they still have the noise <laughs> it's not a cgi you know? bug it's a claymation bug <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of right I there's think no cgi rihanna <laughs> It's literally like a stop motion claymation bug that we see. Um, <laughs> How are you so correct? That's absolutely right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so this is a great episode. First of all, Picard gets this um, code 47, which we've never heard of before and never hear of again. It's mm-hmm. for captain's eyes only. So he's to go in his ready room on a secure answer, on a secure channel, and hear from his old friend Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, excuse, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's not Walker, Texas Ranger. His name's just Walker. <laughs> um, also, the way Picard's eyes and face lights up when he sees his BFF is just the cutest thing ever. Even yeah. in a very, situa- very serious situation with this Code 47 or whatever, he's like, Walker! <laughs> he's so excited. He's hyped. And it's alluded to, like, we know nothing about him, but it's alluded to that he knows Beverly and Jack crusher and they used to all Mm -hmm. hang out all the time so it seems like kind of friend from college who used to see all the time you know besties my first assignment friend and he says walker says i can't tell you over the channel what is happening so we need to meet on this random dead planet and Mm -hmm. you can't tell anyone leave your mission that you're doing now and meet me right away card's like this is weird but okay sure let's do it and they were expecting to have some shore leave i think or like some kind of stop over a a nice planet yeah (laughs) nice planet to hang yeah um and they don't even tell this planet that they are not going to be there in time and they Mm -hmm. go to this cold dead rock and there's three other ships there um and a little freighter comes in at the end, the Horatio that has Walker. And this is the meeting of the minds down here. So Picard beams down and there are all these really high ranking and impressive people here. But they're all, I should say, high ranking because they're all captains. captains. 
Um, yeah. But really stunning captains. And I just want to shout out to Captain Trila, who made Captain faster than anyone in history, including present company. Yeah, her name's Trila Scott. Yeah, she sounds amazing. And I would love to watch a little, like, short trek about Trila Scott's rise to captaincy. Yeah, fastest ever. I'm like, this is incredible. She clearly is not in the Kelvin verse because I don't think she went cadet <laughs> to captain, but <laughs> still, no, not quite yet. still a fast rise. I, I agree. I, I want to see a little background about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something that uh, Walker says to Picard before they end the transmission is something is beginning. Don't trust anyone. And I'm like immediately thrown to the X-Files. Like this is a beautiful way to start an episode because you're set on edge and you start to question literally everyone around you before even the intro, you know? And I think that's such a smart way of creating sort of paranoia for the audience as well as the characters. Yes, totally agree. Rihanna, what do you think initially about the conversation that goes down on this planet? Because Walker... Ricks and Scott all to start all start describing to Picard that there has been something really strange going on in Starfleet headquarters and anyone who goes to Earth comes back and they're not quite the same and it's like uh, I think Rick says his first officer has never been the same since they went back to Earth and there's a lot of really strange personnel changes happening so I'm wondering for you because I assume you're like me and don't remember this episode. Um, no, what are are you on Picard's side? Because he's pretty suspicious that this is the truth. Are you like right in with believing them? I think the Fox Mulder in me is right into the conspiracy and like totally hundred percent believing Walker and the others when they say that there's something fishy going on because they seem like really great captains with good heads on their shoulders. You know, they're not just gonna like stir up something for nothing. Like, they have enough evidence, and they know their people enough. Like, this is the thing. is like, if you have a first officer, you know them well enough to know when they're acting differently. And Riker knew right away when Data started using contractions, you know? like Stop. Like, no, you yeah. can't. Don't even try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many times can we reference this? I just TNG love that episode? scene so much. So good. Oh. Um, so... The other thing, too, that is so startling about this is right when Picard beams down, two of them, Scott and, what's the other guy's name? Ricks. Scott and Ricks have phasers pointed at him, and they have to do a whole questioning where Walker is like, how did Beverly get introduced to Jack Crusher? And he tries to catch Picard in a lie, like, oh, no, it was my brother who introduced him. And Picard's like, no, it wasn't. You have two sisters and stuff like that. And so, you know, it reminds me of, like, all of those different stories where you have to, like, check by using like old facts about somebody to make sure they're real you know i'm thinking harry potter like people under the imperious curse are not going to know those answers unless you know it's like an obvious thing that they were able to get out of somebody but they're asking specific enough questions that they can assure that picard is on their side and so that immediately tunes me into like this is not something that they're just wishy-washy trying to do like i am totally on the conspiracy theory side (laughs) what about you i love that thank you Mm -hmm. i was really torn. I was kind of more on Picard's side in thinking Mm -hmm. that they were overreacting Mm. or if this was actually happening, meeting like this is way too suspicious and it was going to set off an alarm that if this wasn't already a trap, like just alerting Picard to this change is a bad idea if Mm. they're trying to like stay under the radar about this. I don't know in the allotted time that they had like how they could have done it better. I'm not going to suggest anything. Sure. But 
like same thing coming from X-Files and like um, watching so many shows where the main characters are being scrutinized and observed the entire time. I just think there's no way they can get away with this type of like meeting where like three starships, like important starships are not arriving to their destination on time. That's really weird and suspicious. Um, Good point. But I, I, yeah, I just don't really know what to believe. And so I was shocked when Walker's ship, the Horatio is destroyed and Beverly's so excited. Yeah. She's like, Oh, did you see Walker? Like the Horatio's here. Um, and then we see debris of the Horatio and, I love that scene because Worf is like like trying to scan through all the debris, see like, oh, are there any bodies? Mm-hmm. What's going on? What ship is this? Or what what is it? Is it even a ship? Mm-hmm. And then finally that whole piece comes towards them and we see the name of the Horatio just Oof. like, oh God. And I think this is what elevates the plot and makes Picard think this is actually terrible news. And it's even worse to hear that Picard, Jack Crusher, and Walker were best friends from the Academy, you know, and and of course Beverly by proxy. Um, and it just makes me think like Picard is now the only like surviving member of that like that group of three. That and that's just got to set a really devastating tone for him. But I think it also solidifies in his mind that something's going on, and makes him want to like fiercely avenge his friend, you know. And it makes. The ter- it like pushes him forward. It's quite a hero's journey moment, you know, where he's reluctant to kind of believe this conspiracy until he has to be pushed into it. Totally agree. I also was further like dismayed by the fact that Picard goes on to tell Troy about this, who, okay, she's a counselor. She's under HIPAA. Like she can't tell yeah. her mm-hmm. patient's business. Um and it's captain's orders not to tell anyone. But I, I'm just, like, so suspicious that whatever happened to Walker, like, you, like, I thought that should be a sign that you need to keep this even closer to your chest. And yeah, kind same. of go Kirk Rogue. Like, don't mm-hmm. tell anyone about this. Do this on your own and try to figure out what's going on. So I was yeah. very suspicious because then Picard goes on to alert the bridge crew about the situation. First, it's just Riker, and then he ends up telling everyone about this. And I'm I think like, that's insane, dude. Yeah. Destroy's sake, hey, tell everybody. And his reasoning, I agree with the entire time, and I can't believe he ended up breaking it. Like, I don't want to implicate anyone if I'm wrong. So, yeah. yeah. The, the other thing that shocked me is that he just wants to deal with this. So he goes to Earth. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, this is this is very Picard. Like, he does face things head on. But you're right. The difference between him and Kirk is that he will let people in on it. And he will, which is his strength. You know, I think that where in it, that is Kirk's detriment. Um, and it maybe wasn't the best idea. At least for here it worked because no one was uh, bug-possessed by, you know, an omni-enterprise, thank the Lord, or else he would have probably been killed in that moment he told somebody. Yeah. Like, he took a huge, huge risk, but it paid off and helped everyone figure out the solution, which was good because if everyone was in the dark when they started inviting admirals aboard the ship, that would have been way, way worse. Yeah, seriously. Um, I think that's probably what Picard had in the back of his mind, like, well, we haven't been to Earth, and there's been mm-hmm. nothing suspicious going on on my ship, and so probably everybody's safe. You know, it's kind of like assuming, like, oh, well, I don't think my friends have been hanging out. They don't have COVID, like, back in the yeah. early days, so oh I'm just going to hang totally. out with them and hope I don't get COVID. <laughs> oh, wild. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we finally get to Earth and we see the admirals, three admirals. And like, of course, they're admirals. So they're already annoying, but they're acting like particularly annoying and weird. And um, of course, I'm getting alarm bells. I'm like, definitely they were right. Something's going on here. Quinn is like a completely different person. Card is like, that is not Quinn. You know, he had he has Riker stay on him and said like, he's going to go toward the ship and give people bugs, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And Quinn but... is like Picard's like favorite admiral. They're like besties. Yeah. yeah. And so to see him so cold and callous and like just like not himself, Picard is instantly like, okay, I know what they're talking about now with this conspiracy being a reality. And I'm so, so glad that he put Riker on the task of like babysitting Quinn, essentially. Yes. Um, Okay, another suggestion I have to submit as well as just like in this episode, you don't need to put everybody under. You don't need to trank the crew for this. But I think get rid of those glass tables that are in every single oh. crew quarters because this is how Kalar, like, worst wife yeah. dies is she gets, like, pushed into that table. And then in yeah. this episode, Riker, once he is uh, starting to confront Quinn about, like, what's that bug in your briefcase? Quinn, <laughs> yeah. it turns out, is super strong and powerful and he kicks Riker's butt, like, destroys mm-hmm. him pushes them into this glass table and I'm like this is one too many times like thank you after the first time someone gets knocked out because of this glass table that's when you <laughs> remove it it's a wooden hazard are much better they wooden just break tables I'm saying like get me a recall on these glass mm-hmm. tables come on yeah 100% agree um I do love the scene so then Worf Jordy come in and they see that because Riker's able to call them right before he gets knocked out. Quinn attacks Jordy, pushes him through the door like he's so strong. Jordy gets knocked out. Worf gets knocked out, which is always the case because <laughs> poor Worf gets beat up all the time as security officer. And then Crusher comes in like a badass and just has her phaser and she just like keeps phasering him until he goes down, which takes a lot of firepower to do so. Yes. Okay. Rihanna, there was a previous episode where we referenced um, the only one with a brain. Is that, was that Hoshi? The only one with a clue. The only one Um, with a clue. That was Savick, actually. Yeah. That was Savick. Okay. Because I feel like in this episode, Beverly is the only one with a clue because security, like Riker calls security and uh, they come without phasers. <laughs> what is wrong with them? This is Worf. <laughs> He's the sec- such idiots. security officer. And he, he thinks like, oh, I can do hand-to-hand combat on this old man. Like, you don't know. He's been bitten by the bug, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so Crusher yeah. has the phaser. I just couldn't believe that they didn't have a phaser. <laughs> <laughs> That's madness to me. Um, And... Crusher is also the one to figure out that there is a little bug protruding from the back of his neck, which again, great body horror. Like TNG is really well with the yeah. bug, the body horror. And this is sort of where it starts in season one. Um, it's just like a little, little tail coming out of like a tiny little bug tail coming out of his neck. It's so gross looking, but that's sort of how you can show that this person has been possessed or taken over by whatever this parasite bug thing is. Yes. And so the conspiracy really starts to expand here because at the same time that Riker's being attacked and in sickbay, we see Picard is down on the planet with the admirals and there's so much like fake pleasantries, like fake smiling going on. Oh my God. Picard like is kind of like ho-humming through his teeth. And okay, also this guy who's like, this guy who's helping to assist the admirals. I've seen him from a previous episode. Yeah, so this guy's name is Remick. And apparently an image of Remick was part of Data's psychotronic stability examination in the schizoid man. Um, And then also 
Um, Rimmick was one of Riker's memories while being infected on the surface of Sertra 4 and treated in sickbay in the episode Shades of Grey. So, oh my god, he's a lot of, in a lot of people's memories. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he's just like standard Starfleet dude who is yeah. just there a lot. Um, totally. But uh, yeah, so that's Remick for you. But I, yeah, I just hate the Admiral scene. It's like so fake what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then... Picard's trying to save face and act really normal, but he he's like on red alert. The ugh, creepy, creepy, creepy part is then uh, Remick's like, oh, we created this special dinner for you, Picard. It's just mm. like, oh, we, we worked so hard on it. They He goes in there and it's just like a bucket of worms and all of these admirals are just like eating and they're so happy <laughs> to be like oh. scarfing down these worms. Talk about food horror. Like it's a, like a combination of like body horror, food horror, and bug horror. Like all mixed <laughs> into one. And it's so, so gross. Like I was like, like especially then, ooh, ew, ew. I'm like already thinking about it. Um, because then Riker shows up and it looks like he's possessed because he comes in and we all think that, oh my gosh, like they got Riker. That's terrifying. And, you know, the admirals were saying like, oh, you put on a fine sh- show for us, you know, and it, this was all a ploy to get Picard here and to get him to be possessed by this bug. And when Riker's about to go, like he grabs a handful of worms and he's about to eat them and then he throws them away and starts phasering people and so that part is so cool because I'm like yes Riker to save the day so then once he phasers them and like these bugs come out of their mouth it is like the most disgusting way to do it like I just think they were like what what part of their body should it come out of that is the most gross (laughs) like mouth (laughs) you know and so then they follow this little, like you said, claymation bug <laughs> down the hallway. And then it crawls into, like, it crawls onto Remick. And they're like, no, Remick, careful. And he just opens his mouth and lets it in. And it's, like, the grossest. Oh, my God. It's so well done. Like, the sound effects, too, are, like, squelchy and disgusting. Yeah, it's very creepy. I have notes that this music is really creepy as well. Yes. And I think just Riker and Picard standing there, Picard's face is so disgusted. And he's like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like, what is happening yeah. right now? <laughs> I'm sure Patrick Stewart is like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a gross yeah. episode. <laughs> well, so then they both start phasering Remick, and it takes a lot of phaser shots to dig- get him down. And I assume that's a set on kill. Um, because the body explodes, like it's the famous head explosion shot and then the whole Mm -hmm. body explodes and you see like his cavity open and then there's just like a rising, like bigger creature in his stomach. So it's completely taken over his body. It's very like, uh, Prometheus. Alien, yeah. Yes. Um, it's like coming out of her stomach and she's like has to cut it out of herself. Like it's very similar, um, and this was the mother host. So once they were able to destroy Remick, that's what killed and like stopped the possession of every other thing, which is great. I'm glad they didn't have to go and kill a bunch of Starfleet officers in order to stop this. But there's also like little bugs crawling out of Remick. It's just all really gross, but also so well done. I did think that all the bugs dead on the floor kind of looked like um, pasta fettuccine, just like they did. Oh my god, bow ties <laughs> like on the ground. Yeah, the bow tie noodles. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, and once again, we get this open, ambiguous, kind of terrifying ending where um, they say that Remick sent a homing beacon set for Earth from these bugs, you know? And so clearly the bugs didn't make it because the mother died, but like it's still terrifying to think that like they could be coming. So there have been rumors of a possible spinoff series with the Next Generation cast that will happen after season three of Picard. 
also rumors of a movie. And I'm saying it has to be an expansion on conspiracy because I thought, like a lot of these spooky episodes, it's done too soon. And we mm-hmm. just got the surface. We got Picard learning about it at the end of the conspiracy. And <laughs> I yeah. wish we had seen, like, we see data, like, gathering all this data, like, figuring out <laughs> data gathering data. <laughs> we see him figuring out, like, what's been going on. And I just say, wow, what a fantastic episode. And I want more. Yeah, I mean, I think even the conspiracy truthers in Lower Decks discussed the bugs. I think they said they're, like, up the butts of the admirals, but, like, you know, because conspiracies often get the facts wrong. Um, But, like, if Lower Decks is bringing it up, then maybe they're leading to something bigger, because that would be really cool. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, Ashlyn, shall we finish this episode out with Frame of Mind? Yes. Okay, so this is the last of Riker is Exhausted episodes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This, man, what a uh, hidden gem. Maybe not so hidden, but even in reading all the comments of the episodes that people really think about when they think about scary episodes, this one didn't come up super often. But I think this might be my favorite one of everything that we've seen today um, and talked about in the podcast. It opens up with Riker... We're not really sure what's going on, but he's in this gray outfit and he's acting like he's insane and he has this great monologue and you just see his face and you hear this voice behind the camera that right away I'm like, I think that's Data. Pretty sure that's Brent Spiner. Yeah, it sounds like Spiner, yeah. But it's really low and Mm -hmm. it, it might not be. So I'm thinking, okay, is this like... Rikers down on a planet talking to someone. Yeah, like, is this or capture him? <laughs> is this like a weird memory Rikers is repressing? What's yeah. going on? And so we find out that this is a rehearsal, probably one of the last rehearsals for a play that Beverly has put on. Riker is starring in it. And uh, the play is called Frame of Mind. So yes. we start out and it's it's a great acted scene and I once you realize it's a rehearsal I'm even more in awe because it's Frakes acting as Riker, acting as this character in the play. And anytime that type of layering happens, I just, I love watching it. I think it's absolutely genius. Like we we see his line, when I begin to show a glimmer of independent thought, you pump me full of drugs, you know? And I'm like immediately put on edge. I'm feeling really uneasy. And then you kind of take a deep breath. You're like, whew, okay, this is just a play we're good. (laughs) But you know that there's something more to this because he, right after the play, he's kind of like tired and doesn't really want to go through with this. It's been probably pretty mentally taxing for him. And so we see him going back to his quarters to get some rest and he bumps into someone in the turbo lift that he doesn't seem like he recognizes very much. And he does this like look back at him sort of like, whoa, who, who is that? You know, but then it seems like he puts it out of his mind. So I love this tiny little hint we're getting into what the main plot is going to be. Yes, because this is the establishing situation. And we see that Riker is acting really fatigued and he is not quite himself. And he keeps saying that the play is really starting to affect his mind and he does go to Troy again. We see him talk to Troy and she says the same thing. Like I was talking about that she says to Data, she says, it's healthy to explore your own shadow and explore your own dark side. So just lean into it and have fun basically. Like, And I think it's in the <laughs> yeah. context of like using this play to do this. I really love this because 
yeah, usually as an artist, it is good to sort of plunder the darker sides of yourself, especially to access a certain part of yourself, you know, and, and Troy even mentions like, this is probably not a role that you've ever taken on before or any part of yourself you've accessed before. Um, so yeah, good advice for any other situation. But for this, it just sort of adds to the mental game that we're about to be put into here. Yes. So in the next scene, we find out that Riker is actually, it seems like, in a mental institution. Mm -hmm. And everything that he was experiencing on the Enterprise instantly feels like a dream. But also he's not sure if it's a dream or if it's real. He's very confused. And there's this guy who's like his doctor who's basically gaslighting him and saying like, totally. that's none of what you're saying is real. And Riker also realizes that he doesn't even remember his own name. He mm -hmm. is missing very basic facts about himself. But what he does remember is things that have happened on the facility. He's able to recall the names of people around him and different guards, people in the facility. And yet he doesn't remember like his rank on the Enterprise. I thought it was interesting that the doctor says, remember when you first got here, we called Starfleet and asked for anyone of your description and they had never heard of you. And it's playing exactly into this character that Riker is playing in the play. Like, I'm not insane. <laughs> I know who I am. But it's so disorienting because he doesn't know who he is, poor guy. Yeah, and the uh, psychiatrist or whomever is in this is saying that he killed somebody and or insinuating that he did. Well, we learn later that it, it seems as though he came to this facility after he stabbed someone like seven times and came in covered in blood and just hysterical. And actually we get a scene where Riker is taken to the common area for some like, oh, you've been on good behavior, so you get to hang out in the common area. And this psychiatric, like other, maybe like an orderly or something is being absolutely horrible. Same kind of gaslighting saying, you're crazy, you all are insane here. Like pretty much belittling the patients and um, you know, the ward, like as they walking down the ward, you're hearing people screaming, you're hearing like, it seems like this is a torture facility. You know, I'm reminded of McCoy's quote, a cage is a cage. Yeah, this is not um, dagger of the mind. Like there, there's no, uh, it? <laughs> well, it is secretly, but there's mm -hmm. no like surface layer of like, oh yeah, everyone's getting help. This is a state of the art yeah. facility. At least if there's any politics, we don't see any of that. We just see totally. Riker going back and forth because he does after... I feel pretty, like myself, I feel pretty firmly established in the reality of the detention or mental health center. And then once we're back on the Enterprise, I'm like, oh yeah, he's fine. He's on the Enterprise. And increasingly, as we're flip-flopping between the Enterprise and the facility, Riker's getting more and more deranged and more unsure of himself. He ends up doing the play and he like nails the final speech. He does a great job. Everyone claps for him. Then he's back in the institution and he basically is having this discussion with his therapist. Like either you can undergo this type of therapy that it's like called refraction memory where we project your emotions as like human manifestations or like mm -hmm. as figures um, and that's how we'll work out your your trauma, or we can like lobotomize you essentially. Yeah. And so Riker's like, okay, I guess this like refraction therapy sounds good to me. After that, like that, I think is what really kind of turns Riker into thinking that he does belong in this facility, and that is his actual reality because the figures that appear are Troy and Worf and Picard, and the guy who's running the facility. Yeah. Um, he appears in Riker's mind also, and this is the same guy who's been like in like 
he's an ensign on the Enterprise, and he keeps mm-hmm. appearing in Riker's mind. But what these figures tell him, Riker, Picard, and Troy, is, hey, don't believe this. Don't believe your reality right now. Believe in yourself. You are a Starfleet officer. Like, we're going to rescue you. It's all going to be okay. And if anything, this further pushes Riker over the edge because, mm-hmm. like, it has the opposite effect. And I'm wondering why you think yeah. that is. I think because he's been conditioned for long enough, you know, and we also learn that, like, first the uh, projections of Troy and Worf are explaining how he killed this man. Like, he was in an alley and he was overwhelmed. And this is actually true, like, the, these parts. But he didn't kill anyone. He just, like, he probably just, like, knocked someone out with his the knife that Worf gave him. Because we also find out that he was going undercover um, and that his life is going to be at stake on this very kind of dangerous mission that he's going undercover for. Because the politics are really corrupt here. There's been, like, an assassination. And um, Riker is going down to try to see, like, get more info like on the ground of what's going on and how deep this conspiracy goes you know um where so the reality is that he got captured and then put into this like mental torture device so it's really interesting because nothing is consistent except the pain in his head so we see that on the enterprise we think he nicked it or like wharf nicked it while he was showing him how to use the knife but we see on the mental institution that Riker hurt his head while like during the struggle when he killed that person and so there's two different like conflicting stories but we learn that the head injury is actually coming from the device that he's being like plugged into um that continuously makes it bleed but i found that really cool that there was only one key consistent factor in both universes you know that like helped Riker to tie those two things together it's so well done i think that jonathan frakes does like probably one of his best performances in this episode totally agree yeah what gets me too is We're going back and forth between the Enterprise and the facility, but at one point, after he has this refraction treatment, it all starts blending. And he's in the facility, in the common area, and he sees Beverly come. She says she snuck in as like a health advisor, and she tells him, we're going to get you out, don't worry. That night, Riker thinks that Worf and Data and... I think just Worf and Data have come in their amazing black ops outfit (laughs) that they wear in. um, It's almost the same that they wear in Chain of Command. I just love it. It's like all black. Um, And they're trying to rescue Riker, but he's so conditioned that he's yelling like, guards, they're trying to take me, which is, oh my God, like he's so far gone at this point. For me, I kept going back and forth thinking, is this real or not? I cannot tell. And I just, I kept thinking, okay, it must be real. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at some point, like, they are able to rescue Riker and beam him up to the Enterprise. The thing that makes Riker understand that this is not reality is what you said, Rihanna, his head keeps bleeding. And even though Mm -hmm. Beverly's treating it, it keeps bleeding over and over again. And he's like, this is wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. you you're not treating my wound what's happening um and so I think that's one of my favorite parts is just when it starts blending so much you can't even tell what reality is even as the the watcher I think that that's the element that makes this episode so fundamentally scary to me is questioning the reality of like you see the character questioning their own reality but then you're also questioning Riker's entire story you're like was he ever a Starfleet officer like are they you know and most most part of you knows 
that this is not gonna, you know, this is an episodic show to for the most part, and they're not just gonna like have Riker have never actually existed. Like he actually is gonna be an Enterprise crew member, but you're questioning every single turn, you know? And I think especially when he's doing the play multiple times and he then goes back to the ship and it turns out he hasn't even done it yet or things like that, or just the continuous gaslighting that's happening at the facility and the gaslighting that's happening aboard the Enterprise, you know? Like, from both fronts, he's getting these assaults of, like, just complete confusion and, oh, to watch his slow descent into madness and into just despair is really gut-wrenching. Like, I think that that's what, like, makes this episode very, very scary to me is to watch Will Riker lose his composure like this. Yes, I totally agree with you. Another brilliant thing that they do is they keep him in those gray clothes the entire time because yeah. it's what he wears in this first scene when he's doing rehearsal and it's what his character wears in the play, but it's also his mental facility outfit. And so mm-hmm. it, I love that because it's such a simple solution, but it really... It's, it's like Riker out of time. You can't tell like what reality he's in because he's always in those clothes. Yeah. Also, I am so glad that the reality where he messed up the play was not real because <laughs> yeah. I was feeling so like secondhand embarrassment for him when he forgets his lines and not even yeah. forgets his lines, but he's distracted because he's so like out of it and losing mm-hmm. his mind at this point. Um, he messes up the play and I, you can tell Beverly disappointed and I'm, it's too, it's too much for me. It's I, I can't, Agreed. I can't Agreed. deal with him messing up the play. I'm so embarrassed. Um, well, it's freaky too. Cause during the play, he turns around cause there's a, the one door that is also similar in both in the play structure. It's this door that like closes so he can't get out in his, so he's pretty much trapped in this like cell in the facility. And it's the same door when he thinks he's down in the facility and, during the play, he sees the, like, director's face through the door, the, like, the circle and the one window in the door. And that's really scary. Like, that's a really well done moment for me. Yes, totally agree. That is an excellent moment. Another great part is at the very end of the episode where Riker just has no idea what's going on. He he keeps, he has this phaser and he's shooting people and it makes reality explode. And so <laughs> yeah. he's like, okay, this isn't real. He shoots someone else. He's like, okay, yeah. reality exploded again. Like nothing is real. And yeah. so he's uh, he's in the play for a third time and he's pushing the director of the Mm -hmm. facility and then everyone starts clapping in the crew Mm. and you can tell that it's his own like mental strength telling him fight this keep fighting and I'm cheering too I'm like yes Riker go Riker (laughs) oh I found that scene really creepy I'm glad that you added that element because I was more thinking like they're clapping at his distress and they're like enjoying like they're like voyeuristically watching his like suffering but I really like your (laughs) explanation better (laughs) I only thought it was so empowering because at the very end like that's right before he wakes up and he's like yeah ah, I'm I... attached by tubes actually. Yeah, yeah this was an O'Brien tortured mentally for you know decades a situation yes he had an O'Brien episode before an O'Brien episode even existed <laughs> <laughs> that's so true and um one other thing too that I think is really important is that Riker gets to tear down the walls of the play set at the end like this is going to be the most cathartic moment for him you know as healing from this very traumatic like mental experience that he went through um is that he is able to physically tear them down and know that he's not still trapped there you know I was thinking about Pink Floyd tear down the wall wall. (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um 
I do wonder, though, a part of me wonders if the play ever was real. I mean, I know the last scene confirms that it was, but we never know what version of the play he actually did, and we never know if the play ever actually happened. I think they canceled it due to Riker's everything going on with him going down to the mission. Um, but, like, it makes me wonder if Frame of Mind ever actually existed or if that was also a way to protect himself from the onslaught that he was, like, getting psychologically tortured by. No, they did do the play because it had been over for a couple days. The only line I got that said that was that um, Riker said when... I was like right before I went down on the mission, those were my recent memories that I had had was of rehearsing for the play and getting in that mindset. So I think it actually helped him though, it like be in that headspace for his time in the facility. So Rhea and I think, I think you're right on like he, he definitely used it as an aid. That is just so cool. Like the way that he was able to utilize his, people on the enterprise as a shield against this psychological torture is just so cool like way to lean on your friends but <laughs> and, sure. and just Riker's analytical mind to solve this problem was so beautiful to see him like even though the shattering was like a cheesy powerpoint slide skip <laughs> like I was cracking up at the <laughs> the effects of oh like God, the reality shattering yeah literally shattering um it was still cool to see him like I'm going to put this phaser on overload and it should blow up the whole building and it doesn't and everything reality keeps collapsing in on itself till he gets to the actual truth. Totally agree. It was so awesome. And then again, like Frakes just crushes this episode. I think another thing I really enjoyed that was small was every time he did that last monologue speech at the end, it was different. Uh, like yeah. uh, uh, just a little bit different every single time. And isn't that accurate to like, I mean, we both have been in shows like you want mm -hmm. to do it as similarly as possible every time, but mm -hmm. also sometimes you just end up tweaking. Like you say different words with different emphasis, like, to, and it's, totally. it's live theater. So things like yeah. we're not all data. We can't be robotically no. perfect. So exactly. I just mm, love, love. Amazing. Fantastic. Wow. Ashlyn, this has been Ooh. an incredible, incredible show. Thank you so much for creating this really tight, amazing watch list. Toy, 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 toy. I'm, toy <laughs> noise. <laughs> I'm so, so excited to talk about Deep Space Nine soon and the spookiness that comes with it. So thank you, Ashlyn. Thank you, listeners. <laughs> yes, thank you, everybody, for listening this is another massive episode but we really appreciate you sticking in there we really appreciate you listening um real quick before we go i would love to thank curlon nice ghost wolf wit rick mason john t bolds gil dara jeff richardson never otter even anna post t alexander ivan and michelle for your support on our patreon just a reminder if you want access to a lot of really awesome exclusive things it's a dollar per month minimum to get access to all that so thank you patrons thank you listeners especially thank you rihanna and thank you jonathan franks and and i guess the rest of the cast <laughs> yeah, all of you thank you ashlyn have a good night everyone can't wait for next week and ds9 thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast Please tune in next time for the third episode of our spooky series where Ashlyn and Rihanna will talk about all the hair-raising moments in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and our merch on Threadless. 
All links can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, a review of Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, movies, death fakeouts, feminism, and first officers. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these fantastic episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Look my sick ass Spock shirt. I got it. <gasps> Mission Chicago. Oh my god, that's an amazing shirt. I know. I saw it and I nearly died, and then Jesus. I bought it. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> I mean, I, I I made sure I didn't die, so I could buy it. But great. Yeah. Amazing. All right. <laughs> yeah.